Hello and welcome to episode nine of the Sport Flex podcast. I am happily joined by professional baller Matthew Brian and Manning, MBA. How are you, bro? I'm good, bro. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good, thanks. How has lockdown been? Um, a bit of a, a bit of a up and down. Obviously, last year's lockdown, everything shut down, so we wasn't really able to get in gyms, work out, and stuff like that. And then, um, yeah, it's just been a bit of hit and miss um, this season. Obviously, um, wasn't able to do stuff early. Then ended up signing with the Lions, so I was able to get back in the gym, and, you know, work on your craft and stuff. And then, obviously, things didn't go to plan with them, so parted away. So I was out for about a month, and then. Um, with the situation down at Worcester, everything was going on, obviously, with them not being able to bring in any Americans. And Coach Newby had um, reached out to a couple of people. Um, shout out to my guy, Jordan Williams. Uh, it's like a little brother to me. So um, he was like, if you ain't doing anything, like, um, I know it's not long-term or anything, but we need we need some help. So obviously, I was able to help uh, with them. Just obviously, everything with COVID times, um, they weren't able to, to keep me on long-term. Um, so, yeah. Just tough when you're obviously not with a team um, to yeah. try and get your reps up and get in the get in practice. You can imagine that. Now, how frustrating has it been with like the COVID just locking it down? You can't go out, you can't meet up with your teammates or people, you can't train. How has that been, especially like, with family related as well? Um, yeah, it's it's tough. Um, a lot of us, especially at the pro level, like basketballs, our outlet anyway. Obviously, it's a job as well, but. It's something that we've done for the majority of our lives. Um, so we use the sport as an outlet, not only to kind of, um, when things are going wrong off court, let's say, in your personal lives, whatever, kind of get away. So um, it's tough sometimes to guys not have a release. Um, and as we said, like, we love to play the game. We love to work on our craft. So just being able to, not being able to get in the gym and being able to just um, chill out, um, I think it's tough. And obviously everybody knows like uh, being in the house, like there's only so much you can do. Um, oh, yeah. There ain't much options. Yeah, there's not much options you can do. So it's, I'm not a video game player. So I know a lot of guys um, <laughs> around the sport have just been on the games and, and playing online with each other and stuff like that. But like I'm not a video game player. So uh, Netflix and NBA TV is pretty much what I've been doing. Yeah, it gets like that. Luckily, they had the NBA bubble, man. Ah, oh, it saved yeah. us. <laughs> for sure, for sure. That was good. So, like, um, so take us back, you know, to back when you was young, when you were born, just come out of your mother's womb. Tell us how you got involved in basketball and who were your early heroes. Um, so for me, um, it's kind of different from a lot of people in the UK. Um, I've got an older brother. Um who's eight years older than me. Um, not a lot of people know that. Um, they kind of just see me and, and just think it's just me. But um, yeah, I've got an older brother who who's eight years older than me and about the age of 12, he wasn't really in a football like that. So uh, my mom was like looking at different options and he wanted to play basketball. So um, she kind of did her research and found out about the Bricks and Top Cats program. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously 12, it's a little late not late but you know what I mean it's not as young as you would when you're starting other sports and stuff like that but she obviously found out about it um took him down and um obviously as a four-year-old five-year-old I'm there um and then there happens to be a kids group like kids kids like young kids and um so she kind of just threw me in 
at the age of like four or five and then I was just there uh, once a week from them ages and then obviously as I got older it became two times a week and then three times four times like times we were practicing and it was weird because back then obviously it's not the academies that we have now um it's just the club teams the club systems and playing you know national league and, and and premier one and all of that stuff so um we didn't have it as part of our i guess school school curriculum i guess um on school school teams and stuff like that so um are still practicing three four times a week was kind of rare i guess um back then but yeah, that's how I kind of got into it, the Bricks and Talk Hats program from, from such a young age. And then um, played my first, I guess, official game uh, when I was 11, under 16, at 11 years old. That's why I wear number 11. Um, okay. And then, and then yeah, it's, it just kind of carried on and continued. Played under 18s from about the age of 13 or 14. Wow. Um, men's <laughs> basketball. Yeah, playing, I think Brixton were in Division 2, so the equivalent of NBL 2, um, at like 14 and 15. And then um, by the time I finished my GCSEs, um, I was able to get a scholarship to go to the States. So um, it was an interesting story. Uh, the assistant coach of UConn, uh, University of Connecticut at the time, came over to see me. Um, I think he had, had a relationship with Coach um, RIP, my, my junior coach, Jimmy Rogers. And um, yeah, was like able to said he had a couple of kids that he wanted to take a look at. So he brought him over, um, took a look at me, liked what he had to see. But obviously I'm too young at 15 to be looking at universities and stuff. So they kind of got in touch with a prep school coach um, in Connecticut and then ended up um, going to um, South Kent Prep School in Connecticut. Um, and I was there for three years um, after my GCSEs. Um, and then obviously was able to, I ended up getting state player of the year, uh, my senior year in Connecticut and um, ended up going to the University of Washington. Well, so how was that um, transition? Like you're in the UK, you're school and then just going straight to America. Like, was you living with a different family or was you living with uh, your own family out there? Um, no, I have no family that lives in the States. Um, so I was actually, South Kent was a prep school, so it was boarding school. So oh, we just okay. lived on, it was like basically like university, but um, South Kent's all boys. So it was just all boys uh, boarding school. Um, no but it was very none, none, damn, <laughs> mad. <laughs> Obviously, you go from being like a, a, a inner city kid, you know what I mean, going to, to school in the ends and stuff, and then Yes. going to you know a rural Connecticut like literally the closest thing to our campus was um uh, a gas station a petrol station like I think it was like five miles away bro like really? literally there's yeah like it, it's just your campus like that's all you see um it was funny um it's too it's funny that you said like no girls but you used to have like there was bordering um prep schools obviously not that close but within certain vicinities mm-hmm. um and we used to have like school dances every week and stuff like that yeah mm-hmm. it's the only interaction of females like you would have back then mm-hmm. difficult times, so man. um yeah so yeah it was it was it was all right living on campus you know something different a little bit more freedom obviously it is structured because it's still high school age, so kids from the age of 14 to 18 so obviously it's structured. You've got um, each dorm is connected to a house with one of the teachers that lived on it. Um, so there was structure. We had like lights out at certain times and stuff like that because at the end of the day it was still school. Um, 
and then basketball wise it was a bit different I didn't know what to expect um obviously I had dominated here from a young age and my own age group um and you just don't know what to expect like everybody's telling you um you're going from a big fish in a small pond to being a flipping goldfish in the ocean like mm-hmm. you don't know what to expect but um I think I fared well it surprised me um I didn't know how big South Kent was before I got there in terms of um recognition around the country um we ended up being like a top five prep school I had uh, my first year I went to school there Andre Black was my teammate and he was um prep school to pro guy so it didn't even go to college um straight wow. from straight to the league from high school so we had everybody in the country looking at us and um prep school one thing people don't realize um you're playing against grown men so it wasn't that difficult to adjust um I guess because like I said I'd played junior level from about 14 upwards playing under 18s and then played from 15, 14, 15, I was playing men's basketball. So I was playing against guys older than me already, more athletic than me, more stronger than me, and this and the rest. So when I got to the States, it wasn't even that bad of a transition. It was just obviously guys' talent levels was was higher. So um, I think a lot of them ages there, um, obviously getting to the States at 16 years old and you're playing against an 18, 19, 20-year-olds, like it's more the physicality, the speed and all that sort of stuff that kind of changes. But um, I fared well. Um I went in September or I went to the States in August. My mum my had a family friend, so we stayed with her for a couple of weeks. And then when I got to campus, um, I think the coach obviously didn't generally recruit me because uh, at those prep schools you recruit, uh, you know who you want. This and the rest, you're trying to be one of the top yeah. schools in the nation, so you recruit. And um, obviously he didn't genuinely recruit me. He, he didn't know my game or anything like that, but he was taking it from the word of the assistant coach of UConn. And then he found out I could play. So um, he was able to, you know, chuck me in the mix, um, coming off the bench and stuff. But it was just a good thing, I think, that I played with a guy like Andre Blatch, where everybody in the country was able to see, because then that gave me some recognition around yeah. around the States. And legit, I, I remember going to this, um, going or stepping on campus for the first time in September and coming home three months later or something at Christmas and being ranked in the top 30 in the country in, in, in my age group in high school. Yeah, so um, it was good. Um, just adjusting to their system and playing at that level. And, and a lot of people that know me know, you know, you see me talking smack and, and, and whatnot on the court. But that was that was the American side that brought that out with me. And my coach, uh, Coach Shreko Chilius, um, was like it's different like it's not how you've been taught in the UK like it's a dog eat dog world like if someone's barking at you you better bark back because they're going to try and you know intimidate you and if they sense any kind of weakness then they'll they'll eat you alive and and that's kind of where I got my you know loutious boisterous type of game and talking when I'm on the court but anybody that knows me like you meet me off the court I'm the chilled most laid-back guy yeah it's like two different worlds when you're in games I'm a different guy you're an animal yeah that's exactly um how it is I think the best example of that is uh Russell Westbrook um obviously (laughs) I played against him um when I was in college uh, when he was at UCLA yeah while he was at UCLA I was at Washington 
my um, uh, freshman year. So he's cool. Like we're still cool up until this day. Like I've seen him a few times mm-hmm. around the place here, there, and then um, at K54 and stuff in France. And we chop it up, talk, catch up and stuff like that. But I think he's the best example of that. Like his attitude and his, his demeanor on the court is so overwhelming. Sometimes people assume he's an ass like off the court. And when you hear reports back from teammates and stuff like that, you just hear like, nah, he's like one of the best teammates. Nah, like he loves his teammates. Like he looks after us. Like he's obviously one of the star players, high paid players. He'll take the team out for dinner. He'll take the team out for whatever. Like he'll go above and beyond the things that he doesn't have to do. But people just see how he plays and yeah. assume something that, that they don't know is true for him as a person. Yeah. And just more on Russell Westbrook. From back then when you played with him at college, was he the same talker chirpy trash talker or has he just grown as he's gone to the nba do you think i think it's grown i think it's grown some um as he got as he got i guess better and more recognition um because even in college like he went um fourth um i think in the draft um but obviously that surprised everybody he was never a guy that was always ranked high and always this and always that like ucla was like literally a last minute, he got offered there, and he's from Cali, obviously. Yeah. So he took it. He only did two years there, but um, like he didn't have outrageous numbers. I think he averaged like his last year there, only averaged like thirteen points a game or something like that. So for him to go fourth, but obviously he was catching bodies, posters, he was highlight reel um, while he was there, especially that second year um, and stuff like that. So he was, I think it comes with the game like the better you get the more I guess ammunition you have to be able to talk smack and do all of this stuff and yeah and like I think someone like him he wasn't like I said highly ranked coming out of high school and stuff like that so he wasn't like a big talk or he wasn't a big whatever but he would still have like crazy plays highlight plays be on sports um, sports center top 10 and stuff like that but um, yeah, as he got obviously into his career and started doing the all-star stuff and him and KD and stuff got to the finals and mm-hmm. you know what I mean? His motor started coming, started becoming his his thing like people knew him for. Um, I think that's when he kind of started on the the talking more and the, the trash talking and getting in guys' heads and stuff like that. It's funny that you say that because I was just watching clips about him and John Wall going at it last night. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Bradley Bush is standing yeah. there like, oh gosh. Uh, yeah, <laughs> for real. <laughs> and I was just gonna add on to that. Um, when just before you get into college, what are the main differences you're seeing from playing within the UK at the Top Cats and then your first couple of years at prep school? Are you seeing that, or are the standard in America is high and there's more like trash talkers? There's more like you have to be even more to make it there. Um, yeah, um, I think the difference is like growing up here, like I'm competitive in general anyway, but growing up here, it's definitely, uh, you know, thank you for participating. Da, 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 da. Like out there, it's like I'm playing, yeah, they're playing for their livelihood. Like literally when they say like guys are playing sports to get out the hood, like they really are. Like if they don't make it, they know what they're going back to, what kind of world they're going back to. If they want to make any type of money, it might be selling drugs, doing X, Y, Z. Um, whereas you're like, yo, you could what I could put this ball in this basket and become a millionaire and save, you know, what I mean, get my family out of all these situations and doing whatever it may be. So, I think it was just more consistency in terms of heart and and effort and working on your craft in the states because 
because you're American, I think you're obviously closer to the NBA, so you're closer to the goal. Mm. Um, whereas obviously from here, it's like I said, like it's like everybody gets participation medals and everybody wants, like, you know what I mean? Thank you for, mm. you know what I mean? Blah, blah, blah. But like, I think that's a, a that's part of a thing in London, I guess, which is a bit different because everybody, like they say that London basketball is definitely a different brand from the rest of the UK when it comes to it. But I think it's also part of obviously our urban lifestyles different from the rest of the UK. So like we do play with a little bit more edge to our game and a little bit more hunger. And obviously it comes with it, you know, basketball, a little bit more flair and stuff like that. But it's, it, I think being from London is the the best, I guess, equivalent to, um, or coming from London was the best equivalent of being able to go to America and make some type of impact. Um, mm. It's, 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 I think it's close and similar lifestyles and upbringings and stuff like that. So it kind of helps the hunger and, and you kind of know what you want to do and why you're doing it. Oh, well, that's good. Also, I've got a question that how did you like convince your parents to go to America? Because if I said to my mom, oh, at 15, 16, oh, can I go to America and be a pro baller? I was like, oh, no, stay in school. You're going to be a doctor, a lawyer. Like, how was that? How did that conversation pan out? So you want to hear something funny? It's funny that you said that, like, you said it at 16, you was able to do it. The first time I told my mum that I wanted to go to America, I was eight years old. Eight? <laughs> eight years old. She tells me that. She always tells that story. She was like, at eight years old, you said, when I'm old enough, I'm going to America. Like, it wasn't like I was asking her, I was letting her know, like, I'm going to America to, to play basketball. Find it? that seed. Like, straight up at eight. And it's crazy because I got a, I got a, a nine-year-old now. Mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine him telling me like I'm going to America to do, 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 like you know what I mean. So it's crazy to think at that age like I was so on it and knew what I wanted um, to the point where I was telling her already. But I think it was easier for my parents because of the culture that we was around. The Bricks and Top Cats program had guys doing it. So um, obviously when I'm that young, eight, nine, ten, it got guys like Aju Dang and Ugona. Mm-hmm. Uh, these guys are names that have obviously gone to the states and are in the states and doing their thing and it was kind of like the norm I guess so like where everybody else looked at it and it was weird or this that, and the rest um, to me it was the norm it was like you 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 get to a certain age you're good enough you go like you don't mm-hmm. you, like, there's no hanging about like the later you go the harder it's going to be for you so it's the earlier you can go the better and like, because like I said, these guys, and then as I got older, obviously 11, 12, 13, 14, because I think the while left when I was about 11. Um, and then you got guys like um, Lakan Papula, Joflo Larkai, Rashid Quadri, Sean Gray, you know, like all these guys that have gone to the States as I've gotten older as well. So my parents are seeing it or my mum's seeing it uh, more importantly. My dad, my dad was just like, if you want to play basketball, we play basketball in it. Uh, my mum was more obviously the educational side and like making sure you all right this and the rest even like making my decisions go to Washington she found out it was like the second ranked school in the Pac-10 academically behind Stanford she was like yeah fine go ahead like I don't know the basketball side so you and your coach and whatever can talk about all that stuff and what right fits but she was just checking up on that academic side and that's fine so yeah um but yeah, just in terms of the, the culture that I was in, it was regardless if it was how they went, if it was going to go to a camp, 
to get seen or, you know, sending in their own footage and doing X, Y, and Z. Like, there was different ways, but they knew, like, between 16 and 18, I was out. Like, no, <laughs> if I'm the qualms about it, I was gone. And, mm. and that's kind of how it was for me. So how, speak about, like, the financial things behind it. Are you funding this by yourself or are you getting, like, a loan or grant from the government? Oh, no, um, I don't get anything. Um, it wasn't, I, I didn't have to pay for anything. Anything we had to pay for was flights. Um, it was a full scholarship. So um, when you're on a prep school like that, it's basically like college. So it's like a, it's like a scholarship. Yeah. So they pay for your boarding. They pay for your, obviously, food, meals. They pay for your education, all of that sorted. So I literally, I think the only thing that we paid for was literally my flight over and flight home. Oh, and, and, and that was about it yeah yeah my parents or my mom and my brother came I think we went to New Jersey um the first time we went out there because my mom like I said had a family friend that lived in Jersey so we stayed out there for two weeks it's the first time I've ever been to America as well oh, wow. um it was funny when you say it when I think about it, I'm like yeah the first time I went to America I was like I ain't coming back for until I've like obviously come back in terms of holidays but like now England is a holiday versus I'm living in America um so like yeah the first time I went was like I'm going to school and I'm moving out there and I'll be back whenever I'm done in it hopefully obviously at the end of the day I'm thinking I'm trying to play in the NBA so it's like I'm never coming back to live in England but um yeah at least for the unforeseeable future the next three years I'm in prep school next four years I'm in college like I ain't coming back to, to, to live in England so yeah it's crazy when you think about it did you find it easy to settle in being a British person coming to America? Are they cussing you for your British accent or is it like, you know, he's one of us, he's a brother? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it's a little bit different. Um, but that's the thing about prep school. You have a lot of international students because um, obviously it's boarding school. So obviously they have a lot of kids from all over the States. And then um, like there was a lot of Asians, like South Koreans, um, a couple Japanese, a couple... Um, Chinese and then I don't think there was many Asians in terms of like Indian Asians um but then we recruited internationally anyway like coach recruited internationally anyway so I remember that first year I wasn't the only international player we also had um a kid called Papadia um a friend of mine Senegalese like straight from Senegal couldn't speak um I remember actually the funniest thing I end up coming to South Kent and meeting him and I'd met him and played in a tournament against him maybe three years before prior. Mm. Myself and Dan Clark was at um, like a, the Adidas International like camp. I think we were like 15 maybe or something like 14 or 15. Mm. Um, and he couldn't speak a lick. When I mean a lick of English, like he's straight from Senegal, French only. Yeah. So, um, but he just, he was like around my height, had long arms, crazy long arms, used to block everything. And it's just funny because, like, he could barely speak any English, but he was a funny guy, like, his mannerisms and stuff like that. And then when he did try to speak some type of English, like, <laughs> the stuff he would say would just be nonsense. So, like, like me and Dan Clark used to joke about it and laugh about it mm. um, because we was obviously at the camp together. And then two years later or something, I end up going to South Kent, and he's the same dude. I'm like, fam, I recognise this brother. Like, I swear that's... And then, um, obviously, as the years got by, his English got better and stuff like that. So he was able to talk about stuff and whatnot. But, yeah, um, he was there. Um, I had a, a, a seven-footer called Philip Tomtinich um, from Croatia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Our team was, like, at prep school. Like, we had every year was, like, an NBA-type NBA type team. Like, um, I'm trying to think who else. We had a couple others. But, yeah, we um, 
boarding schools and prep schools usually have a lot of international students um, just because obviously it's living on campus and you know you have somewhere to stay and whatnot it's easier it's easier for international students to obviously get their education and obviously play the sport that they love just a final question on prep school like how was the education side did they enforce it on you or was you like i'm just here to play ball and then go to college and play more <laughs> um the it's, it's 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 sad to say um and it's not going to even be what you think it's going to be because everybody think oh you didn't do nothing in this and it's not not like we had school and like we had to go to class and we had to get a certain type of grade if we didn't get a certain grade point average um like you couldn't play but the, the, no yeah but the school system when you're in high school is different to the school system in the uk and it makes it so much easier so like those three years i was like walking like i could do that shit in my sleep eyes closed like i I could literally if i wanted to not go to class and pass every exam and it wasn't a thing that they were um it was like they're stupid or anything like that it's just they break things down different so like we do math say um year seven to year 11 but we do everything you understand what i mean like we break it up but they break it up into classes throughout the years so like say one semester we're doing well it's not even just you get to pick but it's just like we'll be doing geometry so it's all about shape sizes this that and the rest you know what i mean x plus y um equals z like all that sort of stuff but i've learned all of that prior obviously as a whole over the four years i was in secondary school yeah so now they've broken it up into little sections and you might study do geometry one section then do trigonometry then do yeah you know what i mean whatever it may be but they break it up so that you're going over a specific subject for a long period of time. And I'm like, yeah, I've done all of this before, like legit, like my coach used to say, he was like, you're literally sleeping through class, like sleepwalking through class, like why, what's going on? And I'm just like, no, it's easy. Like I've done all of this. Like I did this like literally two years ago. Like Mm -hmm. I remember it as long as you remember it. And that's what school in general is about. Like Mm -hmm. they just want you to regurgitate facts. You know what I mean? You don't learn, like it's not, it's not where college or it's not like life skills where it's like, oh yeah, I want to be an entrepreneur. So I need to now start up a business and do this and blah, 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 blah. like it's read this textbook, remember it. By the time you have your exam, remember it. After your exam, forget it and you're fine. You know what I mean? Like it sounds bad, but it's exactly what it is. And um, that's kind of what it was for me. So I kind of, unless it was like English, I'm not, uh, a, not I'm not great at English, but I'm just not, a more numbers type person so maths and all of that stuff was more me but English I obviously had a good enough grade I was fine but um yeah even taking the SATs and stuff I, I only needed to take it once got the score I needed and was done I know obviously they talk about a lot of kids not being eligible to play or not being eligible for, for college in the states because of their SATs but yeah I only had to take it once got my grade and I was cool with my GPA everything was fine for me Sorry if you can hear my fire alarm going off in the background. It's my mom cooking. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I just want to say, so you're coming to the end of your um, time at prep school now, starting to pick universities and colleges. Mm. What's the process behind picking a college and how did you decide to pick University of Washington? Um, For me, it was just a bit, it was was simple. Um, It wasn't as hard as people think it is. Obviously, you're getting wild and and, everybody's pretty much... Same, same thing um obviously as i said my mom was more so checking on the schools that i was looking at academically um as far as it goes 
I actually committed early. I committed um, the end of my junior year. So I kind of got it out of the way. Um, it was a thing where I wanted to be a part of a winning program. Um, when I did commit, they had they were back to off back to back Street Six teams with Brandon Roy, Nate Robinson, and all of those guys. Um, yeah, um, with all those guys. Um, the the year, so I committed the end of my junior. Yeah, so the the class before me, they had some good um, top one hundred players in Quincy Pondexter, Spencer Hawes, and stuff like that. Um, going in so I'd have been in my senior year of high school and they would have been a freshman at Washington um so I was like okay so they should kind of uphold what they've been doing um because I wanted to be able to compete at the top level like if I, I didn't want to be like oh yeah I want to be at the bottom of the Pac-10 or at the bottom of the ACC or bottom of the Big East I wanted to be somewhere like one thing I believed was like if you win you're on, you're going to be on like, whether it be TV or you're going to get exposure, you're going to get whatever. So I just wanted to be a part of a winning program and obviously be able to play. But it wasn't, I, I knew, I, in my mind, I knew I could play at that level. Um, I believed, obviously, I, me being ranked, as I said, uh, by the end of my senior year, I think I was top 40 or whatever. I knew I'd be able to play at that level. It was just more so being in a situation where it was going to be good for me. Um and that's kind of where it went for me. I was just able to to break it down in terms of their style of play. We, Washington was a very up-tempo team. We played like that in high school. Uh, my team was very athletic. Um, as I said, we only thing different was my actual high school team was bigger in terms of height and, and whatever than my college team. Um, like we had, like we started... My senior year um, of high school, we started Isaiah Thomas at the point guard. Obviously, he's a little mm-hmm. bit 5'8 or whatever, 5'9. Um, but outside of him, um, we started um, another guard, actually, who was in and out of the starting lineup, but um, who went, ended up going to Xavier and transferring to Arizona. Um, and then I started, actually, at the three um, in high school. And then we had the four and a five, and one was, like I said, six. 6'10", another was like 6'8", so like it was very big. And then we had like 7 foot, 6'10", coming off the bench. We had like a 6'8", two guards. Like, we, like yeah, we had a squad. Yeah, the rim protectors all, all over the gaff. All over the place, yeah. Yeah, like the biggest front line easy in the country. So you're at Washington University. Are you seeing like you're at college level now? And in America, we all know, even at the UK, we know Americans take college sports seriously like arenas are packed out like how was that transitioning from high school to like college is more or less professional when you look at the level they play at like how did that feel um it was good it was interesting um but I think because I'd spent three years in the states prior it wasn't a big shock to me because you watch college basketball on tv and and whatnot so it's like what you're I'm I'm ex I'm I'm just waiting on it I'm expecting it to be like this like it's different if you're coming from the UK and you go to the US for college straight away and you're like hold up I'm like I'm playing in a sports hall now I'm playing in a 10,000 seat arena like whereas obviously I'm not saying that we didn't play um in like a small gym or whatever it may be in high school but I played at showcases in front of 5,000 in front of 10,000 in high school so um it wasn't a, a big shock to me when I got there. The only shock was I just think the level in terms of intensity and high majors a different animal like 
you can go to mid-major schools and low-major schools or whatever, or D2, whatever it may be, and you can see, obviously, the similarities, but, like, going from high school, even it being a top high school or top prep school in the nation, to going to the Pac-10, like, you got guys that are ready for the NBA, mm. and that's how, pretty much how it is, and, and people don't realise, like, how good, obviously, it, do, it doesn't get as much recognition now, but back then, how good the Pac-10 was, like, coming out of um, high school and then going to the Pac-10, like, uh, in my league alone, um, Kevin Love, uh, Darren Collison, obviously Russell Westbrook um, was all at UCLA. USC had Devon Jefferson and OJ Mayo. Mm. Um, Oregon was stacked. Yeah, Oregon. Arizona was stacked. They had Chase Bodinger, Jordan Hill, Jared Bayless. Um, a nice point guard, Nick Wise. Um, Washington State had Derek Lowe, Taylor Rochester. He's still playing EuroLeague now. Um, Aaron Baines, Carl Weaver was in the NBA. Um, yeah, like up and down the league, Cal, um, California had um, Ryan Anderson. Um, obviously, I think he just finished playing, or if he's not, he was lost in New Orleans. Um, even teams as Stanford, um, Stanford, obviously known as um, obviously an academic school. Obviously, it's in the Pac-10, but it's not known as as a basketball school, but it's just an academic, more caliber, closer to being a, um, a Ivy League school. And they had Landry Fields, obviously he played in the NBA and stuff. Yeah. Lawrence Hill was right there, and the cusp and stuff like that. So like the Pac-10 was loaded back then, and and the jump was crazy. Um, I think I had I, I felt like I'd done enough in preseason to start, but um, obviously my coach didn't see that, or maybe he just thought my I wasn't ready. So I came off the bench, obviously, my fir- uh, my freshman year. Um, didn't play major minutes. Um, I was up and down. I wasn't sure if I, it was the right place for me, if I was going to stay, if I wanted to transfer, um, because I felt I'd done enough to start or play more minutes. And, I, and, and the only way you're going to get comfortable or get used to stuff at that level is playing. Yeah. If you're not on the court, then, like, as much as, as you may, you know what I mean, see guys and, practice with guys and practice with guys at that level like you have to learn how to play and play through your mistakes so you can minimize your mistakes and and yeah it was just a tough one um sophomore year got into things um had a good preseason, and then literally a week before the season uh got an injury um thought it was going to be more serious um what injury was it than it actually was so it was crazy um we're in practice and so my backstory, my co- my coach is um, church going, doesn't cuss at us, doesn't whatever. Um, so he's fine. If we cuss in practice, we have to run lines. If we do this, that, and the rest, like this is just how he is. So um, we're in practice and I go up for a rebound. Um, and I think somebody tried to box me up, but they didn't realize I'd already jumped. Mm. So they went and kind of stuck their butt out, but my leg obviously was in the air. So as I came down, like they pushed my leg out the way by accident and I fell mm. straight down, but I landed on my hip. Um, so like, it's crazy. Cause I remember the report when it came out, like when um, the team obviously have to announce it or put a story on their page or whatever. And they was like, they wasn't sure what the actual injury was because it was such a crazy one. Like I landed straight on my hip and there was actually um, a family there. I think a kid, a recruiter or a high school kid, his family was there. 
and I landed and all I screamed was, oh, shit. <laughs> and um, obviously everybody was like, Matt, you just said the wrong thing. You know, you're in trouble. But then they realized how bad it was. Like I was out for like a, close to a month. Um, and then coach even like once I calmed down and was with the physios and stuff like that, coach was like, you're going to be the first and probably the only person to cause of how you landed and how it was to not get in trouble for custom <laughs> practice. <laughs> uh, actually, it was crazy because I actually um, apologized because obviously you're aware of your surroundings and stuff like that. Like I apologized to the family on my way out and it was like, no, like don't worry about us. Like we hope you're okay and stuff like that. But you're just so kind of conscious of your surroundings sometimes. But um, yeah, I had took an injury, which meant... Um, I remember it was crazy because we had a preseason game or non-conference. Um, so it counted towards our schedule, but it's not obviously part of the league. But we had a non-conference game and the first game, I wasn't even 100% that he brought me back was against Kansas. And that's mm-hmm. against flipping Cole Aldridge, obviously he was in the league. Uh, the Morris Twins um, were there at the time. Um, yeah. Um, Marcus and Markeith. Um yeah, it was just a crazy one. I'm just out there on one leg, literally. Uh, but obviously, at the end of the day, you're like, at them ages, you don't know anybody. You're just like, yo, I'm trying to play. Like, I did all of this. This was my year. I was supposed to come, you know what I mean? Come in, put in work. And then it was coming up. Um, I ended up obviously coming off the bench. And what it was, was Isaiah had joined the team. Isaiah Thomas um, was there. Um we had a guy, Justin Detman, who's in and out of the NBA and played like EuroLeague and stuff in China. At the two, we had Quincy Pondexter at the three, um, John Brockman also um, inside. And the other guy was um, what everybody kind of predicted going into it after my freshman year and stuff was I would start at the other post spot. But um, we had a redshirt freshman, a good friend of mine, Darnell Gant, um, who was very defensive minded. And all the other guys were scorers. So um, I think once I got injured and coach inserted him into the starting five, like the element that he brought to the to the starters and was like, Matt, you can score. So we we're going to bring you off the bench as a, as a scoring punch. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so like it was very frustrating, obviously, at the end of the day, like, you you're thinking of a multitude of things like I want to play in the NBA I want to get to here like how many people get drafted coming out coming off the bench in college like you're not getting the minutes that you want you want to obviously showcase your ability and stuff like that um but at the same time I don't think I was ready anyway at that time to be worrying about all that sort of stuff it was just kind of what would work out and what would fit for me mm. was yeah it- that was the then Go on, sir. Was there ever a point where, see, when you're frustrated, you're not playing, you're not getting what you feel like you deserve? Are you thinking, is this NBA thing even worth it anymore? Like, I've done my. See, nah, like, for me, never. Like, <laughs> I know me. Like, everybody will tell you this. Like, Matt doesn't lack in confidence. I'm like, yo, you, like, you, <laughs> you. messed up. Yeah, I mean, like, you you fucked up. Like, sorry, you, you mind cussing on here? Yes, yeah, calm, man. Be free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool, cool. I ain't gonna make yeah, you so run. Like, I was like, <laughs> so I was like, nah, like, in my mind, I'm like, you fucked up, bro. Like, mm. I, I got what it takes, bro. You just need to let me rock. If you let me rock, you'll, you'll be surprised. Like, I might surprise you, fam. But that's kind of how, how my mentality, anybody that knows me knows that's how I've been. And, um, sometimes it's tough like big men and obviously it it was a a very different change as I said to you like 
I played a lot on the perimeter in high school and they were sticking me in the post all the time at Washington. Mm-hmm. And the reason being was, yeah, they that's where I kind of developed my post game. Like the stuff that you see now of me as a professional and mm-hmm. what I do and footwork and all of that was all developed at, at Washington. I was more on the perimeter in high school and stuff. Um, as I said, we had huge teams and stuff like that. So our coach was fine with it. And I was cool with it because I, 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 I looked at it in terms of at my height and whatever, you're looking at guys like LeBron, you're looking at guys like Melo, you're looking at guys like KD, like you're like, all right, cool. Well, I can be a three. That's what I need to be. And then it was like the college that I ended up choosing um, didn't have anybody like me, my height, my um, athletic ability and able to score in general, but they was just like, we don't have anybody that can score inside. So they put me in the post to do what I do but just obviously working off the block and then um yeah it was it's, it's the only thing I felt like when I wasn't getting certain stuff was did I want to transfer but I, I'm being honest with you I'm lazy so like I don't know if it was like a thing where I was just like oh I don't want to you know have to uproot everything and move to this school and now get comfortable mm-hmm. here and this that, and the rest to me it was also a thing where I had seen in previous years that my coach wasn't always like that um, when it comes to freshmen, sophomores, and whatever. Um, Quincy Pondexter um, averaged 19, 19 point something points a game as a senior, but his junior year only averaged like 11 point something points a game and before that less. Uh, Brandon Roy, everybody knows, obviously B. Roy was a killer. Like his senior year, he averaged like 20. Like the year before, he averaged like 12. Mm. and obviously less than that years before so like to me I was just like ah, just if you stick it out hold it out you're still going to be obviously on one of the best teams and one of the best conferences in the country and it will be your time to show your time to shine your time to shine and that's kind of how I kind of I guess mentally stuck for it and was always in the gym um, my big man coach used to stay with me um, stay on me um, 15, 20 minutes before practice with me and him are doing a workout before practice is even starting. Just just little stuff, catches, finishes, moves, polishing up some stuff, getting on a free throw line, stuff like that. Um, and then junior year, um, I had a hell of a summer and um, in terms of, um, I think I came back and played GB under 20s and I think I was like top five or something in scoring in the tournament. Um, I think I had like a, yeah, Great Britain. This is I had a forty point something game in in the in the Euros and stuff like that. So everybody was kind of talking about it in the states, like, oh yeah, he's he's turned the corner, he's made the jump, like he's going to be a big impact. Then things weren't going my way again. Um, in terms of I was starting, but just we had Isaiah, um, our, our other big John Brockman had had um, had graduated, gone to, um, gone to the league. Uh, we had Quincy Pondexter, who was a draft, obviously, prospect. Um, and, yeah, it just, things weren't, like, it was predicated around Quincy and predicated around Isaiah. Mm. Guys like myself, um, Justin Holiday. Um, we get a little bit frustrated, I guess. Things weren't kind of going our way. But, um, yeah, midway through that year, I don't know, like, people say it, like, the game just slowed down a, a clip, um the flip of a switch flipped and I went from averaging like probably the first half of the season I was probably averaging around seven points a game or something like that I think the second half of the season I averaged like 12 points a game 
so obviously it brought my averages up and then um yeah it was just double 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 yeah good game maybe have like 15 points but like eight rebounds and like it just kept on rolling 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 and then I was like yeah I'm cool and then we had a talk I remember at the end of my junior year um of my coach saying like what like our closing end of year meetings having a conversation like uh, what are you thinking? What do you want to do? Blah blah blah. blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, in my mind, I'm looking at him confused. Like, what are you talking about, bro? Like, yeah. don't ever have a close of your meeting with me. This and the rest is just like, you know, obviously, you talk, um, what are you thinking about putting your name in and this and the rest? And in my mind, I'm like, bro, I average like 10 points a game. Like, how the hell you think I'm going to get drafted off the average of 10 points a game? Like, I had yeah. a good hot second half of the season. That's about it. And he was just like, no, I'm just having a conversation with you because guys have done less and thought more. Mm. so I want to see where your head's at and to understand I was like bro like nah like uh, if I was leaving school I'd be a first rounder and I know I'm a first rounder and I'm out and I'm going to get paid like with all this other stuff like I don't think I've even shown enough to be able to be people consider me to to draft me so it was like okay and then yeah my senior year killed it we just went crazy like yeah we just went crazy like I just had the confidence I guess from the second half of my, my my previous year um finished a year averaging 16 and 8 and it was mm-hmm. kind of like yeah we we, we kind of just had a like my assistant my older assistant coach had taken a, a job at seattle university so he was still in the same city but obviously not with us and he used to check in with me and he was just like how's the tour going you know we're busting everybody's ass every night every night and i was yeah we were just having fun it was it was good having you know I mean, I had a couple of 30 point games, high double doubles, 20s, mid 20s, and 12 boards and stuff like that. The college level, obviously, it's just, just fun. And it is. you kind of see what you're, 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 you're seeing, I guess, all your hard work and, 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 and everything come out in, in, in positive aspects. And then on top of it, you're also seeing, like, yeah like these numbers at the end of the day at the end of the day it's a numbers game so all these numbers I'm putting up and stuff like that you're thinking like yo it's one step closer I'm trying to get drafted it's one step closer this is one step closer so yeah it was just obviously fun times my senior year yeah plus you even got what first team all pack 10 and most improved player as well so that even yeah, yeah one year yeah just as more more accurate more accolades as I said like things that they look at and um things that um you think are justifications for all the you know what I mean people know you obviously around the country and stuff like that mm. when you're getting those type of accolades and stuff but they don't know like yo fam two years ago bro I was, I was about to get up out of here I was thinking about transferring I was yeah you know I mean I'm getting pissed off I'm like I'm away from friends family everything I'm just like isolated obviously in the states and it's not like 2021 when you have FaceTime and you know what I mean and yeah, it's true, you know? being able to talk to family friends and all that yeah like you're you're on your ones when you say you're on your ones you're on your ones and it's a different it's a different life what do you think changed that you're going from 12 points to to 16 points wow. what do you think changed in your senior year I just think it was understanding more understanding of the game um my coach always said I had the ability but it was um, I tried to do every move on every possession like understanding reading the game um, but yeah I was only 12 points um, in the second half of the season so that wasn't even my average for the season my average for the season was probably like nine and a half 
10 points a game. Um, but that's why, obviously, I've got most improved and stuff like that because they just see it as the end result. So they say, oh, you averaged, say, nine points a game. Now you're averaging 16 points a game. You damn near doubled your total most improved. Um, but my coach would always say, he was like, no, you've got the talent to be at this level, to dominate at this level. It's just you need your understanding. But then again, it also plays into the part where, as I said, my junior year, I was starting and able to play through mistakes early on. Mm-hmm. Now, these mistakes aren't happening because I've played through it and I'm understanding why I'm making these mistakes. Yeah. Um, and I think that was a huge part of it. I think uh, when when I was able to to play major minutes and and like I said, play through my mistakes, I was able to to cut them down. And then obviously my like my field goal percentages went up. Like I was averaging. Oh, I think I was playing like um, sorry scoring on like 57 58 percent of my shots and stuff like that so like that all makes things easier but it's because I'm now reading the defense reading the offense reading uh, when my guys are doing certain things and trying to make myself available for better positioning or where I can get easy easy touches and easy shots and just shooting at a high percentage yeah, plus also at this time, are you making a highlight reel? Because I've seen your dunks and they're mad. You're just <laughs> on, on smoke. Uh, um, Drafted with this game over. Back off. Yeah. Um, nah, back then, it, it, like highlights weren't as big. Like it's crazy because like now I think about it, like it was only what, well, I say only, but it was about 10 years ago. But um, the only highlight reels we used to have was obviously if you catch something crazy, the thing about being a big school is you're going to be on sports center. Mm. Um, so we used to always catch ESPN after games and stuff like that. Something went on. Um, and then um, end of year, each year, the, the, the school or our video guy would make a, a, a end of, you know, I mean, end of season presentation video, like a 15 minute long highlight video of the season. Um, and then yeah when Synergy I guess came out when Synergy came out with every individual play that's when Sam hit me up and was like yo I'm about to do your highlight tape and it was like 8 minutes or 9 minutes long of literally my height and my college highlights and, and yeah obviously a lot of posters and stuff like that so yeah. so you've done your college, you've done your 4 years at Washington Huskies and you're and have you decided to put yourself in the draft yeah um i think it's basically automatic anyway um but yeah you go through the process hire an agent um and i guess they do it all for you i I couldn't even tell you i don't know if it's automatic or whatever but obviously it's tough um you go through that little schedule i guess um where you're going to different teams, teams are invite you in to workouts. Most workouts are three on three, so six guys, usually two guards, two wings, and two big men. Um, go through drills, shooting drills. They might do some testing with you, bench, speed tests, agility tests, stuff like that. Um, and then, yeah, do some playing and put you in situations and some, just to see your competitive nature, to go with the skill set. And obviously some guys are great spot-up shooters, but they can't shoot a lick in a game. And yeah like game situations and stuff like that. So like, um, yeah, you're just going through it. I, I think I had, uh, worked out with about 12, 12 to 15 NBA teams. Um, yeah, so you just kind of go going through it. You fly in um, probably the night before, uh, might have a meeting with upfront office people, 
um, the next day, obviously you have breakfast, they pick you up, go to the facility, do your workout. Um, it's media day usually. Some guys obviously do media. Not everybody does media every place. Obviously certain teams might do media with if a guy is somebody that they're really considering or they got a high draft pick and one of the potential, say, top five picks are in in that workout uh, they'll have like a full media session where they they literally got every camera in the gym on them Mm. um but yeah just doing that a few times and and like obviously it's exciting times you don't know what's going to happen um my name was on as we said like a few draft boards um back then so obviously people are projecting that i should be drafted or could be drafted or teams should be looking at me um yeah, I think that was it. Oh, there's also the Portsmouth Invitational, which I had really well, which is for the best 60 or whatever seniors in the country. And I kind of showed out there and I got top five, like all Portsmouth teams. So the wow. top five players and like, yeah, it was crazy because the four other guys ended up getting drafted and I didn't. Um, but uh, yeah, it's crazy. Um, Andrew Goutlock, who was at College of Charleston, um, which is Andrew Lance's alumni. Um, Vernon Macklin, um, cool dude that went to Florida. Um, myself, Malcolm Thomas, who was at San Diego State with, with Kawhi Leonard and that, and uh, Jimmy Butler got MVP. Um, obviously, everybody knows Jimmy. Yeah. Um, so yeah, still cool with those guys. Speak to every now and then with those guys, but yeah, we it was a good tournament for me. I ended up averaging like seventeen and eight over like three or four games but yeah just fun times um but yeah workouts were, were good workouts i had some good ones had some bad ones it was a tough time for me personally um because my son was born at the end of may so i flew back to england for the birth um but it's tough because obviously you know working out especially back then um it's tough or trying to find a place to work out. Obviously, I'm going from working out every day. I've got a trainer that's that's at that's coming up to the University of Washington every day to work me out on top of getting shots up, on top of going to the gym. I'm literally doing this six, six days a week. Um, and then, obviously, I fly home for two weeks to be here for the birth of my, child, my, my, my son. And um, not being able to get in the gym, obviously, yeah. consistently or whatever. And obviously being at beckoning call by the phone just in case um, he's uh, she goes into labor and he's on the way. So, like, it was just tough times. And then I literally flew. I remember I literally threw, flew from not being able to work out for a couple of weeks in the UK straight to Minnesota to do an NBA workout. Wow. Like, it was crazy. Yeah. And that was a big workout. It was like, it wasn't just for the Timberwolves. It was like one of those... You had like 30 guys there and, and there's like 15 to 20 teams there. So they're all watching. That was stunk it up. I remember it. So I was just like, this is just like, I can't, um, I can't let that happen again, to be honest. Um, it was crazy because I had one of, if not probably one of the worst, if not the worst workout, but I had the craziest poster in that workout as well. So there was like, he's showing glimpses of what he can do, but he didn't have a good workout but certain teams also flew me into their individual workouts like um and kind of rectified that mistake yeah um yeah later on during the during the during the draft process yeah and also just like i think people forget how 
hard it is to get drafted because there's so many people who want to get an NBA and then there's only a very fine amount of people that can be drafted. And just looking at your draft class, like Kyrie was in it, Kawhi was in it, Clay Thompson was in it, it just shows that the, the talent levels are high. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, obviously, put it this way, like Isaiah, um, obviously a teammate of mine, um, got drafted with the 60th pick and he ended up being a two-time All-Star. Um, so that shows and like at the end of the day um, what I will say is all it does is take one team or one person one general manager whatever to like you I don't think they always obviously they show that that they don't always have it right Um, because obviously if you look at careers now you say 10 years later would Isaiah go 60th in the draft a two-time all-star how many all-stars were there you know I mean there's probably if 10 if that you know what I mean, in that draft, but he goes 60th. And just to think about all the seniors, um, obviously coming out of school and having good years, and then obviously all the underclassmen, like you said, uh, like I said, Isaiah, or like you said, Clay Thompson or Kyrie was a one and done. Derek Williams, who went number two, he was at Arizona at the time. Um, he was a sophomore. Like, you got all these underclassmen that obviously uh, declare for the draft as well. So people don't realize. And then we're only talking about America and college. Like in that draft, I remember it, there was at least 10 to 15 guys out of the 60 that got drafted from Europe. So Europeans or overseas guys. So um, yeah, just there's a finite amount of spots, obviously only being 60. Um, And then on top of it, what made it worse was 2011 was the year of the lockout. So after the draft, yeah, the NBA shut down. So there was no NBA Summer League. There was no training camps. There was no mini camps. All of these are opportunities. So guys that, like myself, that go undrafted, mm. they would still impress a team and still make a roster. Mm. And because of that, there was no NBA until Christmas. Um, I think they finally signed the um, CBA. The agreement. So, yeah, yeah the, the, the agreement. So it was tough because obviously, as I said, my son was born at the end of May. I couldn't, without no obviously certainty around the NBA in terms of when it would start, they were talking about maybe potentially missing the whole season wow. and all of that stuff. I'm like, obviously I need to start making money to, to, to provide for, for him. Yeah. Wow. It's crazy, man. So there are drafts and speaking about the draft thing, like I think Jokic, he was a second round pick and look how good he is. So yeah. it's basically a yeah. lottery in the sense of it. Yeah. And yeah, do you... like I said, it just takes for one person. It just takes one person or one team, I guess, to, to like you to 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 give you a chance. And it's just tough because also you're not thinking about it because at the end of the day it's basketball to you. But mm. they're putting they're investing millions yeah. in these picks and these draft picks and, and it's a lot to obviously invest in, but at the end of the day it's also all these kids' dreams as well. Yeah. And just a final question. Are you ever told like Maybe had inklings or oh, this team's going to draft you. Are you told why they didn't draft you or why they picked that person ahead of you? Nah, so um, draft night is very complicated because there's so much stuff that goes on behind the scenes that people don't realize. All you see, or all the fancies, or whoever sees, is this person picked blah, blah, blah. Mm. So, what you got to understand is I can tell which um, Indiana had spoken to me. They was like, if he's still on the board, which we don't think he will be at 42, um, I think we're going to take him or we'll take him, blah, 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 blah. But that's what they told my agent. But then also to flip that, they also assumed that 
another team or they had heard that another team was taking somebody else. So when something else doesn't happen above them, Mm. it kind of fucks up everything that's going on below them. Mm. So like if things are not guaranteed and it is different when it gets to the second round and stuff, but um, if things get all muddled up above, it kind of messes up for certain things that happen below and people don't understand that. Like imagine, as you said, like myself and you are, perfect fit and this and the rest and you like me and you um, I like you or whatever it may be it goes on but then you hear um, another player is available who was supposed to go I don't know 10 picks higher Yeah, you're like oh do we go with the guy that we think we like or whatever but do we go with the guy that we that I guess the world believes is a better talent mm. so it's like a lot of stuff kind of goes in behind goes on behind the scenes that people obviously don't know about but yeah you don't like once it doesn't happen it doesn't happen um you don't kind of get an explanation or anything like that it's just obviously they went with who they went with and then um you teams can still not draft you and still be interested and that's what the what people don't understand like and that's what is a tough situation about having the lockout because teams that were high on me or teams that were interested or they weren't able to be like you know what summer league's here come rock with us with summer league I would just obviously evaluate who you have at my position and who you drafted and who you're bringing in to decide who I play for in summer league. But then in your whole mind, you're just like, I got to go and show out. Yeah. But obviously at that time, as I said, you're playing or you're not really worried about school. Obviously March is the, the tournament's finished. I'm a senior, so I'm basically graduated. Um, you're literally in the gym three, four times a day where it be morning I'm getting up a thousand shots afternoon I've got a um, I've got a weightlifting session um evening I've got a basketball um I've got a basketball workout um after that I might come back after dinner and go get another thousand shots in so I'm doing this daily mm-hmm. so you're 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 playing some of the best basketball of your life mm-hmm. or most consistent basketball of your life and then you get told, oh, the NBA shut down. There's no summer league. There's no mini camps. There's no workouts. There's right. no nothing. So you're just like, what am I supposed to do? And that's why I kind of ended up signing overseas. And well, I say overseas, but in Europe, like over, I guess, on this side. Okay. So after the whole like, draft has happened, you go to Europe. And which team do you go to? And what country? Um, Hajar Tepe uh, in Turkey. So this was... Uh, Division two team that had just been the year before promoted to Division one, so it's the first league in Turkey. Um, and that year was an interesting one. You you get to see the politics of professional basketball. I, I got exposed to it very very early. Mm. Um, yeah, and also um, Turkey that year was might have been if not. I know people will debate it or whatever, but it was definitely up there. But they were talking about it being the best league, um, more domestic league in the world outside of obviously the NBA. Um, between that and the ACB, and we had all of our top eight teams that made the playoffs um, were in European competition. So wow. obviously now we have Euro League, Champions League, uh, FIBA Europe Cup and stuff. Um, back then it was Euro League, um, Euro Cup, and Euro Challenge. Um, and we had three teams in Euro League, three teams in Euro Cup, and two teams in Euro Challenge. And all eight of them were obviously the top eight teams in the, the league, but it was a huge league of like 16, 17 teams or something like that. Um, but yeah, as I said, like the politics of basketball and politics of professional basketball kind of opened opened up to me then. 
Um, what type of? I was the. Right. I was the only rookie. Um, I was the only rookie on the team, or only American or import rookie. Um, <laughs> so we are allowed four per team, but only three are allowed on the court at once. Um, oh. Yeah, and um, we had a point guard, Sean Collins, that went to Kansas, that had done some stuff for the NBA. We had a, a, a vet, Melvin Sanders. Uh, my vet is from Dallas, but he had played for the Spurs um, and stuff. Um, he was a wing. And then we had um, a big as well, another big called Ricardo Marsh, who had played, obviously, a, a multitude of years in Europe, um, but had also done, like, training camps and stuff for the Atlanta Hawks. So he was around the NBA. And he had also played for this head coach um, years ago. Uh, when he was played in Turkey younger in his career. So um, as far as talent, I always, obviously, as I said, like I believe that I should be an NBA player or at that time, especially like I could have got drafted or should have got drafted. And um, I believe um, I was obviously the most talented guy, versatile guy, whatever on the team. Um, and I think it kind of showed um, in what I was able to do in the minutes, I was able to do it in. I only played about 20 minutes a game. Wow. Um, but I averaged like 13 points, yeah. six rebounds, um, and I led the league in blocks and I led the league in steals that year as a rookie. Um, so I was obviously upset because I'm like, I should be playing more minutes at the end of the day. Like when I, I'm in, I'm producing, I'm not like shooting bad percentages where I'm getting numbers, but I'm not helping the team or I'm um, making the team look bad or set the deficit of the team. Like we was predicted to finish uh, the bottom of the league because obviously we're a new team going up. So we're predicted to finish at the bottom of the league um, and get relegated right back down to division two. But um, we came in, made some noise. We finished one game, literally one game out of the playoffs um, in ninth spot. And as I said, the eight teams ahead of us were all in European competition. So it's hard to obviously knock them out of the fold. Um, but yeah, um, had a good year. Obviously, I'm playing against some of the top Euro, Euro League teams in Galatasaray and FS and um, who else was in the Euro League? Fenerbahce and stuff like that. Um, we have Besiktas as well in the league. Uh, they, they they were the treble, so they won the cup, the league, and um, the cup, yeah, Turkish cup, the league, and they won the Euro Challenge title in Europe as well. So, like, the some of the levels, uh, obviously a big brother uh, played for, for, for them uh, in Pops and Sabonsu, somebody... Um, obviously British that I, I knew I'd played with on the national team and stuff like that um, so he was with Besiktas so it was good obviously playing against um, a friend um, especially coming out because you don't see a lot of people obviously that you do know um, it was just interesting you meet a lot of guys and you see a lot of guys um, that you know from college and stuff like that or you might have played against um, sometimes obviously we played in all different leagues all over the country but um, you'll see guys that you played against uh, maybe one time as a sophomore, but obviously they were a top high school kid. So you remember them from say like McDonald's, all, not McDonald's, sorry, Nike All-American camp. No, but um, Nike All-American camp and, and, and stuff like that growing up. So yeah, it's, it was an interesting situation. Was there like a language barrier being in Turkey? Were they coaching in English or was it like you had to just 
catch on with what? Uh, no, my 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 coach spoke English. My coach spoke English. Um, that was a good part. Uh, my coach did speak English. I'm trying to remember. Obviously, I played at so many different places, yeah. but um, my coach did speak. Uh, my coach did speak English. He was he was he was cool. But that was like I said, like he could he could see my frustration, especially being a young guy as well, mm. and not being happy with the amount of minutes I'm playing, um, or thinking that. I should be playing more minutes because I remember even at times like he was like, "Do you think you're too good to be here?" and this and the rest. And I'd just be honest with him, be like, "Yeah, I think I should be in the NBA." Like simple as like, yeah. I'm not saying like it's not changing what I'm doing. Like I'll come in and I'll, I'll, you know, what I mean, work out. I'll come in and do be a part of practice every day and come in and do whatever I have to do. But yeah, like I feel like it's below me or beneath me, and I don't know. Obviously, it's part of like you said, like you've got to have that kind of as I said earlier, like confidence and I guess arrogance, but not too arrogant, obviously, but some type of arrogance about yourself and about the game because that's how you separate yourself from from others. Yeah. And plus, and, and during these summers, you're going back playing summer league for like, you know, mm. an NBA team. Speak the about rules, yeah. what, is, what is summer league and speak about what happens at these. Another, t- another, um, I guess situation where it's a lot of politics. Um, anybody that's really? ever been through it on both sides, yeah, a lot of politics. Um, teams are bring you in. Obviously, I'm not saying there is an opportunity to make it to the NBA, but it's very difficult. Like from being an unknown to yeah, you're going to be on the NBA roster. And the reason I say that is because it's predicated around their draft picks and their players that they already have. Yes. So. Um, if you get drafted, you're playing regardless. It doesn't matter what's going on. Like you're playing 30 minutes, you're there to showcase, get better. It's an NRS, so you're playing. So sometimes you look at situations where you don't want to be on a team that's drafted a player in your position because they're going to play out of 48 minutes. They're going to play 35 to 40 minutes regardless. Like it doesn't matter what they do. They could have two points, four rebounds, whatever. They're going to play. Nice. So... That's what I mean in terms of politics. And then also certain teams also use it as, say we have a 15-man road team, 15-man team um, in the regular season, but we only run about eight, nine guys max in terms of bulk of the minutes or whatever it is during the season. So if you're a young guy, um, say you're in your first year, your second year or whatever it may be, you, you, they will use summer league to get your confidence up, to get you playing you know, high level minutes, see how you've improved it. Cause you gotta understand if you're not playing in NBA games, you're not really practicing because you're you've got 82 games. So yeah. guys are not practicing in terms of like, yeah, getting up and down, having mad conditioning, doing the X, Y, and Z, this and the rest, rah, 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 rah. so obviously you still are practicing, but it's not the same level. So you're not, I guess, improving or you're not seeing an improvement necessarily every day from some of your guys at the back end of your bench. So if you've got guys that are young, one, two, three years in the NBA, they'll bring them along to summer league and go play 40 minutes a game. Mm-hmm. So now you've got to also, it's all, like I said, it's all like chess pieces. So now you've got to pick a team where things have, you haven't got um, a draft pick or that plays your position. Now you've also got to try and find out who's on the roster because you got to see if they have any guys that are on their actual NBA roster that they have in on their summer league roster, because you know those guys are going to play. That happened to me one year um, in Portland, where they had six guys. 
the year when they had like Dame Lillard and um, LaMarcus Aldridge and Wes Matthews and all those guys, they literally played about seven guys max, but they all played 35 to 40 minutes a game. So the back end of their roster never played. So I get to Portland. I was trying to find out from Asian, you know, who have they signed? Who have they, who have they got in summer league? He was like, they sought out you. Like they said, um, Matt, like they hit him up. My agency, we want Matthew to play with us for summer league. Da, 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 da. See how he's developed, blah, 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 which is fine. And my agent kind of took it as a positive because they sought him out to find out about me. And it was interesting because I had a double-double when I played the year before in summer league yeah. against Portland. Okay. Um, when they had um, CJ, I think CJ was um, playing summer league, so they just dropped his CJ McCollum. Yeah, because um, there was times where I had to switch, and as a big, and I'm guarding CJ, and I was doing a decent job on him, like in switching um, a few plays or whatever. So my agent just assumed because I think I had a double double, and I think I had like five blocks or something. Um, so my agent assumed it was from me having a good game against them last summer that they was like. What's he doing this year? Who's he playing for for summer league? We want him to come and bring him in. Mm. So then, which is fine. Um, so he's just like, yeah, Matt, what do you think? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, cool, but who do they have? They haven't released it yet, Matt. Da, 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 but who do they have? I need to know. Like, I'm, This is like my third or fourth summer league or whatever. So I'm like, I'm knowing the game now. Really so I'm do. trying to get on. Yeah, so I'm trying to get on his head about it. He's just like, no, they'll release it when they release it. This and the rest. So I'm like, All right, cool, whatever. He was actually like, it's big that they came after me for you. So, like, they must be somewhat interested or whatever it may be. Uh, the day before I'm supposed to go to Portland, I think I'm in Chicago. The day before I'm supposed to go to Portland, um, they release the the, the, the thing, uh, the roster or whatever for the Summer League. And they have six players on their NBA roster playing Summer League. No <laughs> other team in the in, Yeah, six. They had um, Alan Crabb. Thomas Robinson, Will Barton, Joel was there actually, Joel Freeland, obviously British kid, um, Myers Leonard, and somebody else, I can't remember off the top of my head, that's five anyway, but they had like six guys, so like when I'm mean, they played the whole summer league and everybody else just sat down, it was like we were, there was no point in even being there, like it was a paid vacation to, to, to Vegas really, like it was crazy, like crazy, like I tried to be, I remember it, like I tried to be, um, say, professional and be like, I'm not going out like this is, no, but when I say it, like you understand, like Vegas, I think the reason they have Summer League in Vegas is because you have every temptation to do everything wrong. Oh, yeah. That's a good so point. you kind of weeds out the guys who's serious and who's not serious. So I wasn't doing nothing. Like, I'm chilling. Like, obviously there's gambling and stuff like that. People gamble here and there. I'm not really a big gambler anyway, but like I'm talking about every every casino um every hotel has a club like this is going on like everything's going on so like three four days in i'm not getting no burn like literally none like but like i said the whole bench isn't getting any burn so like um i think isaiah had flew into vegas to be around sacramento or whatever um so he had reached out. It was like, "Yo, what's good? You got a game tomorrow?" So I was like, "Yeah, but bro, I ain't really playing." But you know, I shouldn't really. You know, I mean, you've got your mills. Like, I'm trying to get paid like this end. He's like, "Bro, if you haven't played, who's on your squad?" And then I told him. He was like, "Bro, you coming out with me? Yo, don't just be sitting around moping around the hotel like, whatever." So we go out. I go to meet him, or um, he tells me where to meet him at. We go to the club, bro. Tell me why I walk in, see him, give him that. Two tables down. The whole of my bench, like Portland Trailblazers, the whole of our bench 
was out in the club partying, getting it in, drunk, got bottles, doing whatever. I'm like, yo, you niggas, are, he's like, they're like, yo, we've been out every night, yo. Coach ain't playing us, what were they playing us? They got six niggas on the squad, like, blah, 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 blah. so I'm like, so you look, so you look what out, and you couldn't even shout, man. He was like, I'm not gonna lie. I don't even know what you was on, or people were like, I don't even know, like, I hadn't seen you out, I hadn't heard you talking about going out, I heard you, because uh, obviously at the end of the day, we're all pros, so we've all mm. made money, some type of money, whatever, we're playing pro in Europe and stuff like that, so we know each other. But they was like, I didn't know, like, I just thought the club wasn't your thing because I look, I'm talking about literally five, six guys are all on the on, on the team with me with two tables down getting lit. And I'm just like, yo, that's crazy. But like I said, it's all part of the politics game because they knew, because they've been through it. Because we've like, when you've done it once or twice, you kind of see the ongoings. You're in, you're in kind of the circles, I guess, to understand where people like I said, fans or whatever just see it as, oh yeah, summer league's on, let me watch the game. When they're not thinking about it, you do realise when those five guys are on the court, there's five to seven guys on the bench or whatever that are all having their dreams like flash before their eyes, like right in front of them. They're like, this was my opportunity to coach and give me an opportunity. Mm. So yeah, like there's a lot of politics in the professional game that you don't know or you don't see until you get there or until I guess you're told about certain things. Yeah. Yeah, this is not something you would have expected, isn't it? You would have thought, you know, I mean, summer league opportunity you'll get, but opportunity. They, yeah, they have to think of their own selves. Like They've got a bench player. At the end of the day, needing. and and yeah, and then like you said, like they've invested X amount of million in that person um, already. Even if it's at the end of the bench, you're still getting paid millions. Like that's yeah. money to be, you know what I mean? To be like, oh yeah, well, do I wanna, you know what I mean? Give them. Uh, somebody who I'm giving millions uh, a chance to, you know what I mean, get better and improve or give another Tom, Dick and Harry, you know what I mean, his minutes and, and you know what I mean. So. Yeah, man. Somebody. Interesting, man. This is good. Interesting. Interesting. So after you've done your stint in Turkey, you've I've seen you've played for a lot of clubs, Argentina, Brazil. What's, what's the reasoning oh, behind yeah. like, going to different countries? Is it to just get into the league or is it to like, I'm I'm too good here. Let me try. My, let me test myself. Nah. So I'll be honest with you. Um, at the end of the day, basketball's um, your job. Yeah. So some people like stability. Some people like this. Some people like that. To me, I'm not going to reside in any of these countries once I finish playing. Yeah. I have no ties to. France, I have no ties to Japan, I have no ties to Mexico, I have no ties to Argentina. Like, if I'm not in London, unless I'm in the States, I don't want to, like, no disrespect, but I don't want to be there. So, unless you're paying me, I'm going to be there. And that's what people don't understand. People look at it as a bad thing. Oh, he's globetrotted or he's done this. Like, I've had multiple places that I've been, won a championship, and the team's tried to get me back, and I'm like, no, because I'm getting paid more here. Mm. and then people look at it in terms of oh why would he want to globe trot or why would it like why would you not like mm. i can only play this game for 10 to 15 years max why would i not see the world that's a good point yeah. to me i'd rather i'd rather go be a part of this culture if i'm getting paid more as well but i'm go be a part of this culture visit this culture see this my son's got to see the world yeah but yeah i could go to france and make the same money over and over and over again and be in the same position and they're like oh yeah but you know it's more stable and you're comfortable so what am I comfortable for because I'm here for eight to nine months and Mm. I'm coming back to the UK like at the end of the day I'm coming home like 
if I want to, you know, move to France and be, you know, ignored and, and loved by a certain team and club and have history and X, Y, and Z because I'm going to live there for the rest of my life, then cool. But if that's not my priority or my prerogative, then it's like, go get your check. That's what it is to me. Because yeah. 10, like I said, you're only going to play 10 to 15 years. Your your career in sports is so much shorter than your career or your life expectancy in any other career. Mm, so yes. It's about making sure that you're all right and making sure that you're, you're putting yourselves in good situations and um, places to obviously get the best and I guess the best financial gain out of it. And just speaking about, because you said you had your, your, obviously your, your child was born, I think like nine years ago. So was your child coming with you to these different countries or was he just staying in London? So and... he, would, he was in London, but um, he, they would visit. They would visit probably a couple of times a year. So like my son's first passport is stamped to the max. <laughs> um, obviously now for real Turkey, um, Serbia um, France uh, Japan Mexico like pretty much everywhere I played uh, he would come visit obviously the last few years I've been here but before that like yeah um, they would definitely visit and definitely obviously and it's crazy because he talks about certain places still. Like at nine years old, he talks about, oh yeah, do you remember? And I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, bro, you was actually like three years old, like at this time. Like, how do you even remember it? Like, it's crazy, but it's obviously shaping him and him being well, I guess, versed um, in culture and stuff and, and around the world. Because he talks to me about certain teammates that in the past, or he'll bring up something. And my son's very out there. When I say he's out there, like, we'll be watching a movie and then he'll say something about a teammate and I'm like, oh, are you talking about, like, are you talking about X, Y, and Z? And then I'm like, he's like, yeah. And then I'm like, bro, like you was four, like, well, you was five when we was out there. Like, how do you even remember that? Or how are you tying something that you're watching on TV to this? Or, oh yeah, because they do this because, and I'm like, okay. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. Um, to me, uh, I know it's looked at in terms of a negative being a globe trotter and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, for me, it's it's something that I've been able, I've had the pleasure, I would say, to 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 see and view a lot of cultures that I wouldn't be able to see and view if I did any other job. And um, up close and personal, and also just the fact that, um, well, as I said, like you want to be in the best place financially to to be able to sort out, I guess, um, your family and, and, and your loved ones. Yeah, plus you've experienced life as well, so there's nothing wrong with that. And just before we get into, like, when you came back to London, what's the your favourite league that you played in, like, apart from London? Or, <laughs> um, or the one you enjoyed the um, most? In terms of off-court, on-court, what do you mean? Oh, oh, both. Oh, on-court. Um, the toughest, the toughest on-court, as I said, was probably Turkey. Mm. Um, as I said, like the the level of the teams that were out there, like year in and year out, um, I mean, sorry, from top to bottom, um, was was crazy. As I said, like it felt like when you've got half the league playing in European competition, like it feels like every game is somebody. Yeah. You know what I mean? So um, that was good. Um, had a great time in France. Um, both on court and off court that that um, I was in the south of France um, oh. my team was called yeah Antibes um, down by Nice and, and Cannes area and um, the French Riviera like I was like 30 minutes from Monaco like 
it was love, like legit, yeah. You could legit like get out of practice and go lay on the beach if you wanted to. Like Life of a pro. Um loved it down there. Yeah, yeah. Um but obviously it's not the the same everywhere. Um but it was it was it was beautiful down there and obviously French pro A um in France is, is a high level of basketball. Um I enjoyed Mexico as well actually. Um I was right on the on the border of California, um in Mexicali. Yeah, so um I had fun times. I had a fun team. Um sometimes a team can make your situation a lot better and a lot easier. So we had a lot of Mexican Americans, so guys that were had Mexican passports, but they were really American. So it felt like I was, I was not the oldest, but I was up there. But I was only twenty six, and and I was one of the oldest guys. So we had a lot of young guys. It felt like college. Yeah, yeah. It felt like a college kind of environment where all the team was cool with each other. Like we'd go out together, we'd do group things together, go team bowling and stuff like that. But it wasn't like a team thing where the coach would be like, okay, we're doing this together. Like, we would just do it off our own bats. Like, you know what I mean? Like, what are you not doing today? Anything planned? Like, come on, let's go and just do stuff together. So that was that was really cool and that was really chill. Um, actually had the guys in the NBA right now on that team, uh, Juan Toscano-Anderson. That's with the Golden State Warriors. Uh, it was his rookie year, uh, my second year up there. Um, but yeah, a lot of fun times with a lot of guys that, Obviously, you maintain some good relationships with. Yeah, that's good, man. And you come back to London for the London City Royals. I mean, they didn't even last yeah. <laughs> long at all. But like, yeah. how was it there? What, firstly, what brought you back to the UK? And like, tell us about the experience at the Royals. Um, it's interesting. Um, because there was a lot of, I guess, negative. Um, things that were talked about with the Royals. Um, obviously, um, they weren't able to sustain what they had started or what they were doing. But um, Namo Shiri, um, being the head of basketball operations, wanted to kind of give British guys the opportunity to play at home for a decent amount of money. Um, people don't know what I made overseas. So people don't realize I took a huge pay cut to come home. Wow. And um Speck. what yeah, there was there was a lot of stuff going on and people had rumors and stuff. Obviously, I didn't disclose anything publicly or anything like that of what I was actually making with the roles, but there was a lot of talk about the roles are overpaying guys and they're doing X, Y, and Z and and I just felt it as bad, like bad for the league. And I'm not saying that in comparison to other teams and in comparison to other things that um, they weren't paying more than other guys or more than other franchises and more than other teams, but it shouldn't be to the detriment of the players or detriment of the league. Like it shouldn't be looked down upon. Like I think the culture in the UK is we're trying to get the most out of the, uh, the least that we can give and that's why there's so many issues with people wanting to 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 come home and guys playing at a high level um, wanting to come home, but they can't do it because financially it doesn't make sense. Yeah. And I think that their their the Royals, I guess, mantra for what they wanted to do was the right way in terms of all right. Well, if we want this level of guys to come home, 
and make our domestic league better and stronger, we have to pay him because he's yeah. valued at X amount overseas. Like, if this was any other field, um, and I don't know, say this was finance, and you could get paid 80K for a job in France, but you could get paid 35K for a job in the UK, you're going to go to France. 100%. I'm there already. But, <laughs> but, but, when it comes to basketball, people look down upon you. Black. Like, why would you go play in France when you can play in the UK? Mm. Well, why, why, why? Like, would you play for? Would you work for less? At the end of the day, people don't understand. Like, yes, it's a sport, but it's still our jobs yeah. and our livelihoods. And as I said, you're only in this for ten to fifteen years. Like, it's mm. different if you're saying, you know what? I can pay you thirty-five k a year for forty years. Yeah, different. All right. Well, at least I'm comfortable for forty years. But if I know I'm only going to be able to do this for 10 to 15 years or whatever it is, I'm saying 10 to 15 years to make sure you have a good and solid career. Not Especially in the UK, not a lot of guys have that type of career. Yeah. Me, myself, it feels like I've been playing forever. I'm only playing, I've only been playing professionally for 10 years. Mm. So the guys that say are not on my level in terms of talent-wise or whatever it may be might have a career of six years. Mm. So if you could play for six years, and you can play for 35k or 80k like why would you not for six years take 80k that's true like it doesn't make sense mm -hmm. and that's what people understand and i think that it got looked upon very very negatively um that they were trying to do that i know that um teams were upset and and um i guess tried to make um i guess the owner at the time john sawyer um were aware that they don't pay their players that much but why is it okay or why is there no say british basketball why is there no british basketball advocate that's saying that these guys are paying pay too much or the world pay too much money or say the lions now or plymouth or whoever's got the money in the bbl now if all of these guys are so sought after and so mad that you're playing british players or x amount of players this why are they not the same way when it comes to football the guys that are getting paid millions that's true. for a sport mm. it's it's no different it's a yeah. sport. It's a sport that brings entertainment to you, to your household, to your television screens, whatever it may be. But yet, you get mad that somebody's making, say, a hundred thousand, but you're not mad that somebody makes a million. Yeah, I don't understand that to me. Yeah. So, like, it's just a, yeah, it it doesn't make much sense to me if I'm being honest. And I just think that the guys that are overseas, or the guys, obviously, I was for a long period of time that. I'm not saying that they shouldn't come back, but only come back if the situation is the right situation for you. Because at the end of the day, once you hit mid thirties, like they're going like sports in general, you got to understand that they're just going to wipe their hands off you, and you're just going to be somebody written down in books, like in the history books or whatever it is, record books or whatever. But they don't care about what you do, and especially when it comes to basketball, um, something that Kieran Achar is doing a lot right now. There's not a lot of pathways, so mm. we'll spend X amount of time building a career and doing x y and z to now hit mid-30s and be done with the sport and it's not like you can go into coaching or go into a gm role or go into whatever it may be there's no avenues in the uk for that so it's like you've got to start flat on your flat on your face bottom of the barrel and trying to get a new career going on and people don't understand that either but you make a very good point when you're talking about how it's looked down upon. I think that's just in sports in general in like this country. Because if you look at football, for example, if a footballer is earning, let's say, 40k a week at, let's say, West Ham, and then he goes to Chelsea for 90k a week, 
those fans are going to cuss him out saying you've got no loyalty you're scum you're this there's a lot of tribalism in sport when people are attached to a certain player and a team it's like if you leave like you're how can you leave us but it's like you're not paying Which, you're not paying what i've got to pay exactly for. yeah exactly but fam if i'm making 40k a week i'm not saying i wouldn't take the 90k a week but yeah. you're making 40k a week like mm. i don't understand it in terms of like that's not like I was making a meal overseas or something like that. Like you know, what I mean, like I was making obviously decent money, good money, but like you can't get mad that a team wants to pay me. You know what I mean? A certain amount of money, which isn't even like you know what I mean, six figures. Yeah. But yet you're mad that these guys want to go overseas and make that type of money, mm. or you're mad that a team in the league wants to come and pay these guys that type of money. Like why would you be mad at that? Like. It's like you're unhappy for my success or you're unhappy for... Like, if a, a team pays me, how does that offend, affect you? It doesn't. Apart from you get to see my talent on the court. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there was so much stick back and, and whatever. Maybe you're like, oh, they're spending too much money on their players and they're doing this and they're doing that. And so what, you want the league to be the worst league in Europe for however long? Like, there's yeah. the only way for this league and the BBO and everything to get up is... If you pay guys, because once you pay guys, you bring better talent. Once you bring better talent, and even if like the best leagues in the world outside, obviously the NBA, um, are the leagues that have some of the best, the uh, the most talented domestic players. So like when you see Spain, you know Spain's top whatever in the in the world when it comes to national team. But the guys obviously that are not playing in the NBA, majority of them are playing in Spain. Yeah, and that's because they have the money to pay the best domestic players. So, not it doesn't matter what Americans you bring in, but obviously, if you surround, you can only have three or four, whatever it may be, imports. If you surround them with the best domestic players, obviously, it brings up the value of the league. And yeah. until I think the 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 British league, whether it be the BBL or if there's another league that happens or whatever it may be, like until they're like, yeah. Um, we want to pay guys and so we have say like the Ovi Sokos, the Gabe Olesenis, the Miles Hessens, the whoever it is, the young version of myself or whoever it is um, then obviously it will uplift the league as a whole and then once you uplift the lift, uh, when you uplift the league as a whole you get respect from your counterparts because when you go to France or you go to Spain or you go to Germany and you would say, oh yeah, I'm playing in the BBL and British Basketball League, they'll look at you like, oh, you must be trash. <laughs> like, real shit. Being honest. If you're, you're being honest and you're being real about the situation, yeah. That's true. But so. on the whole, just get your bag, man. Like, all of this. <laughs> but anyway, let's leave got a good positive things with the Royals. You did win the BBL Cup and you did get to the finals. I read out your stat sheet. Do you know your stat sheet for the finals? That final game, the trophy you win? Had 19 and something. Had 19. You built a trophy. You built a trophy. One you won. Oh, the trophy. Oh, the trophy. No, no, no. I thought you meant the, the, the player final. Um, I should, should have had a triple-double. I know I was close to. Yeah, um, close. 26. Yeah, that's great. Eight. Seven assists. Yeah. And four blocks. Yeah, yeah, four rebounds as well. Yeah, okay, you four. Know. Huh? four rebounds. That's what it says. No, eight rebounds. Eight rebounds. I was eight. Come I'm on, wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm wrong. I don't know, but twenty six and eight. Twenty six and eight. Twenty six. I know it was twenty six and eight. Yeah. Um, I might have four steals as well. So I'm like, I can't remember, but yeah, so I'm like, four steals. I put rebounds twice. Eight rebounds. You're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So yeah, 
um, yeah, it was a hell of a game, but it was just fun, um, especially playing against the Lions. Um, not only that it being a cross-town rival and all of that, but what people don't understand is there was 20-plus British players on the court, and the majority of them were London-born and London-raised. Um, so, like, you know what I mean? We were playing against your boys and playing with your guys and guys that we grew up play, playing with and against. Um, obviously, Justin is like a brother to me, um, playing for the Top Cats. And then guys like, even they had Paul Guade, um, Paul, like, as kids, like, Justin will tell you, if you have a talk, if you had a talk with Justin, Jack, Justin will tell you, like, Paul as a child, um, have you had a, uh, sorry, have you had a um, talk with him? Or no, no, get him I, on I, or I've been talking to Ed, Ed Lucas. Okay, okay, okay. If you have a talk with Justin, just say that I said, or oh, a question for me was, like, describe Paul Guade as a junior or as a kid before he went to the States. Uh, he was miles like miles beyond his years like mm. um like when we was young like it was like he was a level above us he was only well he's actually uh, 87 so he's a school year i think above us but um a year i'm, I'm at 88 born so um it was only like a year above us but it felt like he was like three or four years in terms of his talent um at mm. them ages so um, yeah, just playing against guys like that um, and then obviously playing with obviously the British guys that I was with obviously as you said you did the one with Edge like that's like a little brother to me like he used to see me he used to talk about it like growing up as kids who, like we're both from the same ends in it so like, even if I was like on the high street bopping go Tesco's or something he was like as a kid I didn't even used to say nothing like, I used to see but like yo that's NBA yo like da, 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 like like little stuff like that but it's like him obviously LVC um, been playing against Will Neighbor from back in the day, like Midnight like Madness and stuff like that. Um, yeah, it was just crazy. It was crazy. It was crazy. Jules, like a little brother to me, obviously another South London kid. Like, so all these guys to be able to showcase, obviously it being on BBC, um, showcase the league, but also showcase London. And I think it was a great showcase just to show that, you know, I mean, we've got some hoopers here and we've able to show out. And obviously the first major final going into overtime, um, obviously myself having a big game edge hitting that big three to send it to overtime like yeah. but yeah I mean like when it's when it's when it's British guys and guys born and bred here and being able to make plays and do stuff on, on that on that stage and obviously it was um, obviously it was weird two London teams playing in Glasgow but obviously they came they showed out and it was like great no it was great um, like I'm not say, saying it was fully sold out or whatever, but it was it was a lot of people in them stands and, and you don't see that often in British basketball. No, you don't. No. But what part of uh, London are you from? South, you said? South, yeah. Whereabouts South. from South as well? Fort uh, Neath. You're lying. Swear down, I'm in Fort Neath. Fort Neath? I'm Fort Neath. I'm all going to name my road, innit? <laughs> Come and get me. Yeah. Meet as well, meet as well, though. Big up, big up. Okay, we'll talk once you turn this thing up. <laughs> we'll talk this we'll CR7, though, CR7. Yeah, come on, CR7, we know. <laughs> we know, we know, we know. More than that, you know about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, um, after the Royals, you had a couple more stints in, like, England. You went even went to Egypt. Speak about the Egypt, like... So, so no, so this is what happened. Um, the Royals thing went pear-shaped or whatever mm. towards the end of that season. Obviously, um... Uh, after we lost in the finals, um, things were a bit up and down. Uh, there were some issues, obviously, financially. So then, obviously, it didn't end up going back 
So I was sorting some stuff out to do with the Royals while the season was starting, I guess, for last year, so 2019-20 season. Um, hadn't signed anywhere, so I went to Mexico at the beginning, um, I think late, maybe November. Um, but they were halfway through. They had to, they, they've changed their season, so they do two short seasons, so one from September to January, and then one from, like, January or whatever, February till, like, the rest of the year. So um, I came in November, finished off, did a couple months there, finished off, came back in January, and I I was working out with Surrey um, just to stay in shape and do all of that stuff while I was looking for a different gig. Um, but Creon, obviously, uh, real cool dude, obviously, he was doing me a favor, staying in shape, was like, if we can pay you a little bit for the meantime, can would you want to suit up for us? Um, obviously. See, Teo was in my ear, another guy, like I said, a uh, London guy that uh, grew up playing playing with and stuff. So um, they kind of got in my ear about it all. Um, so, yeah, I was like, fuck it, I'll do it. Um, so, you know, suited up for them for about six games, six, seven games. And then Egypt came along um, and it was a big deal. Um, Creole obviously was uh, let me go um, to do it, but I didn't end up going. So um, that's why I say, let me just speak about it. It was for the BAL, the Basketball Africa League. Um, what they were doing is having the champions of different uh, different countries across Africa play in one league, which would have only lasted about three months. Um, and my team was obviously the Egyptian champions, uh, Zamalek. Um, so yeah, it was a, a good opportunity. I looked at it as, as especially it being um, the first year of the BAL. Um, and obviously Luau Deng was an ambassador mm-hmm. um, had guys like Joe Flo um, Larkai who was working behind the scenes for it, Benny Bonsu was working behind the scenes for it, um, Pops Mentor Bonsu as well um, so um, I thought it would be a good thing and obviously I'm half Jamaican, half Ghanaian so I've got an African passport so I was playing actually as an African over there um, or I would have been playing as an African over there so um yeah, it was just um, a good situation, a good, um, good, um, I guess, potential. It's a little bit of extra exposure, you know what I mean? Like, I played mm. everywhere else, so I was like, why not? Yeah. Um, obviously, it was good financially for me um, to sign there uh, for the last few months of the season. But then, literally, I was supposed to fly out on a Monday, but I had a dentist appointment, appointment booked on a Tuesday. So the team was like, sort out your dentist appointment on Tuesday. Um, and then on Wednesday, we'll have another conversation and sort out when we're going to have your flight, your new flight um, come in. So I was like, fine, that's no problem. Um, Wednesday comes around. Uh, everything's fine. Wednesday comes around. Um, the BAL or the NBA got postponed. And because the NBA is, um, or the BAL is a umbrella of the NBA, yeah, they um, was like we're postponing the league until obviously until the unforeseeable future, and we'll let you know when it's coming back. So like literally, I should have been on, I should have been in Egypt, mm. but um, yeah, but because obviously I, I couldn't get on that first flight, um, the, the the we didn't end up obviously rearranging it because obviously they hadn't set a new start date or anything for anything to go on. So kind of just playing it by ear they still kind of said they're interested the team's still interested in me they they like me they really like me they like um they've seen obviously where i've played the numbers i've put up my percentages and stuff like that so they're still very much interested 
But um, obviously, without the NBA signing off and saying that the league go ahead, um, because obviously until I would take that take that month or a few months off to to, to go over there. But yeah, um, it was definitely a, a interesting situation. Something I was looking forward to go going to. Um, I've actually been to Egypt before, um, but on a leisure, I guess holiday. My son wanted to go. Um, one summer I think he was looking um, in history class was learning about the pyramids and stuff like that and he was like I want to go to, to Cairo I want to go to see the whatever so I took him um, uh, one summer so I've been obviously to Egypt before so it's been good to obviously go back see what COVID did oh. yeah it's crazy it's crazy oh, crazy man. the bag was nice too oh, oh you must have been sad <laughs> way yeah, just brush up on like the last few months of like 2020. Is that sorry, um, sorry, or Worcester? So, yeah, so it was uh, Worcester, Worcester. So, um, yeah, um, same sort of thing, I guess. Um, with how I did with sorry, um, Worcester was having issues with um, getting uh, visas for their Americans. Um, they knew it wasn't going to be able to get um, approved until December, so. They had, obviously, with the late start, maybe a month and a half, a month um, before Christmas. So um, Jordan, um, Jordan Williams, it's like my son, he um, he had messaged me. I was like, yo, have you signed anywhere? What are you doing? This was obviously after I got released um, from the Lions situation. Um, and I was like, now I'm at the house chilling, waiting, waiting to hear some, some stuff from my agent, this and the rest. He was like, you want to come up here? So I was just like, huh? Why, what's going on? What's the issue? Like, how long? And the rest was like, um, I think it's just short term, but I think we can't get any Americans in. But I know Newbie's looking for somebody to help us kind of fill the void. Um, I can obviously send him your number or whatever, and you guys can have a conversation um, and see what happens. And then obviously we did. Um, I knew Newbie um, somewhat already. Um, he had... Um, a few of my close boys growing up, he'd coached them up at uh, Lee's Carnegie for like uni and stuff. Uh, Albert Margai, Laddie Brown, David Ejimovi, um, Ahmed, um, Armand, sorry. Um, so, yeah, they'd all told me like he's a cool guy, cool guy to play for, stuff like that. Jordan was cool with him um, and told me, yeah, practices are chill, uh, he'd come in. Um, we're going to play a lot because obviously we only have five pros at the moment um, and just kind of see, see how things go. So kind of went down there. Um, I think it was a bit different for him. He usually has younger teams. So like um, the main players are Jordan and, and Martin Boutnick, um, but they're only 25, 26. Obviously me being 32, 33, I was like, you know what I mean? Like what they do. What I did seven years ago was like, all right, cool. Like, you can go crazy and practice. You can have me run suicide, do whatever. But I play free. I'm like, yo, relax in it. So, no, you've done your time. So things, yeah, you know what I mean? So so it was a good situation. I think we understood each other very well. Um, we came across... Um, came, I think we um, came across very well. And um, we kind of just did our job. Um for the guys that we did have and for the lack of, as I said, professionals on the court and obviously I guess on the bench because obviously you can only have five on the court, but yeah. on the bench, um, did did really well. Uh, um, one games um, that we believe that we 
we were able to compete with teams that obviously had their full squad. Um, obviously, at other games, we ended up getting blown out a couple of times, but obviously you take your lumps with, with yeah with everything that goes on and and I think with the Americans that they've got right now obviously I was able to be there with them for a couple of weeks um before I, before I parted ways but um it was really good I think they got some talented guys to go along with the guys that they already had and I think they've got the opportunity to to finish high in the league um obviously after a, a tough beginning um being short-handed but I think they've definitely got an opportunity to to surprise some people once they get, you know, in their groove and rolling. Big up, big up. Now let's go on to the flex your knowledge bit. I always like this. This bit. guy. Here we go. Here we go. Here let's, we go. Let's see if you know you you say you watch NBA TV, you're watching it. Let's see if you really were watching NBA. Okay. Uh-huh. There's gonna be six questions. The last question oh, is cool, worth cool. five points. The first five mm-hmm. questions are worth five points, but with Two with a bonus point on each question. Okay. okay. So, question number one. I don't like your smiles right now, brother. You're looking real like I'm about to catch this dude out. Like, what's like, this? I can't lie. Some, some of them are a bit like a mask a lot here, but some of them you should get them. I think. I think. Okay, okay, okay. Number one. Which NBA duo? had the highest scoring points per game average in the regular season last year. I'm going to give you options. So you ain't got to guess. Okay, 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 okay. I'm like, jeez. Yeah, I'm thinking it's difficult. Yeah. I'll give you options for each question. Is it A, Damon CJ, B, LeBron and AD, C, Giannis and Chris Middleton, or D, Harden and Westbrook? It's between A and D, bro. There was only four. There was only four options. Yeah, for A, four options. So between those. Yeah, four. it was between A and D. It's between A and D. No, no, it's between A and D. I'm telling you for sure. Um, it's between CJ and Dame and uh, Harden and Westbrook. Um, the other options. I don't need the other options, bro. Ah. <laughs> <sighs> Where we go with James and, and Russ? That's right. Yeah, James and Russ is right. Yeah. Yeah, bro. Yeah, bro. See what I'm saying? Look, look at you. Look at you. Look at you. Look at you. I ain't gonna lie. I was between before you even said the options. I was between them two. I was between them two. Yeah, you got that spot on. Okay, cool. For the bonus, yeah, well, I think it was just that 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 extra. You know, what I mean, James leading the league and soaring. That's why I rocked with them. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But for the for bonus point. What was their points per game in that season? Last last season. I'll tell you exactly to the point, whatever. But I want to say James was at like thirty, uh, Ross was at like twenty-seven. Oh, together, like give me like a full total together. Oh, yeah. 50, uh, uh, 56 or uh, I'll give it to you to the nearest whole number. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm close in it. That's why. Now you know. I'm gonna um, say. What's your final answer? Uh, uh, um. Say fifty-five. Oh, you're you're close. It was sixty-one point nine, but okay, I would have given you sixty-two. Sixty-one. Gee. Yeah, because James, 61. I think James got thirty-four. Thirty-four. Russell was I didn't twenty. Realize it was that much. I 20, thought it was like thirty. I thought, yeah, I thought Russell was at like twenty-seven, but I thought uh, James was like thirty. So yeah, my fault. Mm. But yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll give you the others. Damon CJ, they were second. They only got fifty-one point four. Yeah. Yeah. Ron and AD fifty-two point four. They Ron and AD got more than Damon CJ. So, oh, okay, okay. 
Okay. Then Giannis and Chris got 50.7. But kill. Okay. Question two. This is probably the hardest question. Which one of these teams has won an NBA championship? Has won. Mm. Is it A, Orlando Magic, B, Atlanta Hawks, C, Utah Jazz, or D, Indiana Pacers? Oh, no, no, I'll, name, I'll name them again. Orlando Magic, Atlanta Hawks, Utah Jazz, or Indiana Pacers? Which out of those four teams have won an NBA championship? Have won? Just one? Are you saying? No, have won at any. Or... They've got one, two, three, four. They, but out, out of these teams, three haven't won any. One has won at least one. Mm. I will say this again, sir. Orlando Magic, Atlanta Hawks, Orlando. Utah Jazz, Indiana Pacers. Jeez, these guys are some dead teams, man. <laughs> um, Orlando, um, Indiana, Atlanta. Orlando, Indiana, Atlanta, and two? Uh, Orlando, Atlanta, Utah, Indiana. Um, Utah? No, nah, that's wrong. Sorry to say. Utah ain't won it. You know, Michael Jordan Utah stopped ain't won it. No. Utah, uh, MJ stopped Carmelo from winning anything. Utah didn't win it. Oh. Actually, Atlanta Hawks, they've won a champion. They've only won one, but they've won a championship. Okay, when? The, 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 that's the bonus point. If you can get me the year they. <laughs> That's why I said this is quite a hard question. <laughs> Are you gonna? Oh jeez! All, right, all right, all right. If you get, I'll give you this. If I'll give you the bonus point if you get it two years either side. See, if you said nineteen forty-seven, if the year was nineteen forty-seven, I give you. If you said forty-nine or forty-five, that's mad, bro. I couldn't even tell you what century it was. <laughs> um, I don't know. Give me a, give me a, give me a, a decade. A decade. Okay, if I give you a decade, I'm not going to give you. No, you have to. Give no, it. no, you don't have to give me the point. Okay. You don't have to give me the point. You don't have to give me the point. But I just say, give me the decade that they won it. The decade. It was the fifties. See what I mean, like fam. How am I supposed to? Yeah, you know I mean, I was watching basketball in the fifties. Blood. No, I don't. Really... Um, I don't know. Um, fifty. Fifty-one. I don't know. Nah, it's fifty-eight. I mean, I wouldn't expect anyone to know that, but yeah, I don't know who they had them times, but <laughs> nine fifty-eight. Yeah, Atlanta right. Hawks. Okay, number three. I'm about to look. I'm about to. You know what? I'm about to look this up, bro. It's Atlanta true. Hawks on the ticket. Cool. Yeah, you look it up. You look it up. <laughs> NBA champions. Yeah, when I was doing it, I had to literally say. Yeah. Alright, that don't count. See, trick question, bro. How was that a trick question? You see what that team says, nineteen fifty eight. Oh, it's the same. Are we doing this? Okay, so if I ask you how many titles Lakers have, are you going to tell me that they ain't got seventeen? All right, but I didn't even know that Atlanta Hawks was a uh, was the St. Louis Hawks before that franchise. Everyone's changed teams. Come on, man. Everyone's no, no come, one's, on, come on, come on, on come on, come on. Even if even if, look, even if I tried to cheat. I couldn't have got that right because I would have been like, well, none of them are on the list. <laughs> you know, 
Ah, uh, cool. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Ah, uh, cool. Uh, just because that is a good point. They weren't Atlanta Hawks at the time, but you know, we'll, I'll give you another question at the end. I'll give you another question at the end. All right, cool, cool, cool. The next cool. question is: Which team drafted Kobe Bryant? Is it Charlotte Hornets? Okay, I ain't gonna. Do you know, there's other options, yeah, but. Charlotte Hornets, man. Right, what do you mean? Correct, correct, and then correct, traded yeah. to the Lakers. Just for the viewers. <laughs> and, that's it. and the extra point. And nah, just, nah, that just was for the viewers. That was extra the point. extra question. It was an extra point. The, the, who did he get traded to? No, that wasn't a... I wasn't going to do I'm that. Joking, I'm, that. Joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. What year yeah. was it? Oh, uh, 98 draft. 98 draft? Bro, no, 96, 96, 96, 96, 96. Fuck. I'll give it, I'll give it to you because I'm the last person. Give it to you, okay? You got, you yeah. Got, you got no but yeah, I know that. I know that. I know that. Yeah, cool. Another. You didn't ask if that was my final answer. If you said, "Is that your final yeah, answer?" I'd have been like, "Hold on, yeah. oh, ninety-six. <laughs> I'm not gonna react from now on. Cool. <laughs> Number cool, four. What were the other answers anyway for the first? Oh, there were. I had LA Lakers. I thought someone didn't watch NBA would say that. I had Phoenix Suns and Sacramento Kings. You know, California. Okay. But yeah. yeah. Question four. Out of the following names, who has the most assists? Out of the following names I'm going to mention. Is it A, LeBron James, B, Rajan Rondo, C, Chris Paul, or D, Russell Westbrook? Uh, Chris Paul. That final answer? Yes. Are you sure? <laughs> yes. Chris Paul's correct. Oh, this guy. Look at this guy. Easy, come on, light work. For the bonus point, out of those names I've mentioned, who has the least currently assists? So I name them again: LeBron James, Rondo, Chris Paul. Can't be him, obviously, or Westbrook. So between Rondo, Westbrook, or LeBron, who has the least amount of assists? Russ. That your final answer? Yeah. And that is wrong. Yeah. Is it actually Russ is close, actually Rondo. Rondo is the least. Uh, okay. I, I I was it was between them two, but the only reason why I said Russ was because his career I know he's had some obviously triple double years and stuff, but his career sure. Yeah, I mean it's close. Russ has seven thousand three hundred and eighty three. Rondo's got seven thousand two hundred and forty three. So Okay, yeah. Fucking cheese. Cool. Question number five. Now we've all seen the last dance. Which team won the two titles in night in between? I give you easy questions. I had I've I didn't know the NBA knowledge, but yeah, Houston Rockets, yeah, Houston. I'm not gonna read the rest. <laughs> Options were Lakers, Knicks, or the Spurs. Okay. And for the bonus point, who won the finals MVP in those years? Hakeem Olajuwon. Hakeem the dream. Fam, this net, I give you easy questions. I can't lie. I'm after real. You give me easy questions or just do I know basketball? Come on. It's because I asked Ed. I did Ed Lucas. I interviewed him. He was he was guessing most of them. He was getting them right, but he thought they were hard. I should have given you his questions. He had quite hard ones. What were his questions? What kind of questions was he getting? I asked him like, oh, how many rolls the highest amount of rebounds Wilt got in a game? And I gave him options, obviously. I asked him. Yeah, that's uh, like mid, 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 mid to high twenties, right? 
rebounds, the most he's ever got. I think it's like 50 yeah. or something. Will. Will Chamberlain. Oh, for real? I don't yeah. know. I don't know what it was. Yeah, yeah so it's quite know. hard. Right, cool. This question, I think you should get this right. This is number six, the bonus question. But I'll come back to the one okay. before that I need to give you for the Atlanta Hawks one. I already did the, the bonus question. Hakeem? Huh? No, 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 this is the bonus. Last question was five points. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, this is meant to be the hard one, but I think for the way you're talking, it might be quite easy for you. Okay, in one (laughs) minute, you will name me all the winners of the NBA Finals since 2010. In one minute. Oh, in one minute? Yeah, but I all the finals since 2010. Yeah, so 2010 included up to 2020. All the finals winners. Well, I have to do it in order. Yes, please. Yes, in order. Oh, no, 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 no. You're making shit up now <laughs> as you go along. Of course you have to do it in order. I'm just saying, you just said name all the finals, innit? Well, now I said in order. All right, cool, cool, cool. In order, right, in order. Cool, 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 cool. So from 2010, starting yeah. from now. All right, 2010 was Lakers because that was 10 years ago. Um, 2011, uh, Dallas, they beat the Heat. Um, then Miami back to back. Uh, so that's 12 13. Um, 14, Heat lost to San Antonio, right? Um, I don't know. And then, yeah, all right, whatever. And then uh, 15, uh, Golden State era started. Uh, 16, Cavs came back 3 1. 17, Golden State went back to back. Um, and then Toronto last year. 2020. Huh? Twenty twenty. Lakers, obviously. Yeah, twenty twenty. My bad. Lakers, obviously. You did that with sixteen seconds left. Yeah, you get the five bonus points. No, well done, well done. You clean that. You clean me up still. Yeah, bro. Come on, bam. But I'm gonna go back to that question. I've got. Who was the first ape seeded team to reach the NBA Finals? I'm gonna give options: Orlando Magic, New Jersey Nets. The Lakers or the New York Knicks? Say again. Say again. First eight seeded team. Oh yeah, the yeah. first Who eight seeded team. What was the option? Um, Orlando Magic, New Jersey Nets, LA Lakers, or the New York Knicks? make the finals yeah to make the finals yeah that's tough um, yep. um, what are them again <laughs> Orlando Magic New Jersey Nets Orlando. LA Lakers Jersey. or New York Knicks The Knicks. Say that again. The Knicks. Final answer. Yeah. This guy's so lucky, brother. All <laughs> 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 right. <laughs> yeah, the New York Knicks is, is, is correct. It's correct. New York Knicks. You get that point. For, for a bonus point, tell me the year they got to the finals. That year, what year was it that they were the first eight season team to reach it? Um, 
can give you the region because I think I know what team it was. Because I think I know oh, guys who on the team. Give me the team, I'll give you the bonus for that as well. Who they faced in the finals. So it was like, oh, I don't know who they faced in the finals, but um, I want to say, I know who was on the team though, because that's oh. why I remember it. Oh, that's why I got, I actually didn't guess it. Like I actually thought, oh, is it? Okay. I was trying to remember if if they knew it was like Patrick Ewing, Alan Houston, them man, yeah, uh, Squirrel, Charles well, all of them lot, yeah, Charlie Ward, yeah. like all them man. So like, I'm trying to work out if it was um, ninety eight or ninety nine because I don't think it was two thousand yet because I would have been I was about twelve. I remember watching basketball back then. But um, I was about twelve, so yeah, let's just say ninety nine. Then I guess because two thousand, I would have been twelve. This guy is cleaning me out. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they faced it. Yeah, I, 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 I knew it was right before. Okay, I knew it was right before the uh, finals. All right, I mean finals right before um, the two thousand year two thousand. Patch Ewing got injured in game two. So Okay, yeah, yeah. We lost that. But well done. I mean, you've cleaned me out there with, with that one. Yeah, Still, no, I know basketball, bro. No, I can't. I'm after you got let me see. You got five, six, eight. You got thirteen out of fifteen. You know, no one will get that. The average was like four, three. This is hoop, man. This is hoop. I've been doing this a long time. I respect it. Well, people, they don't. Yeah, I think, I think, I think, I think, I think that's what what what's done it because I'm a, a little bit older in it, so I might watch more basketball. Yeah, you know I mean, like yeah. if you ask Ed some of these questions, he's like, 2010, bro. I just started playing basketball." Yeah, <laughs> I took that into account. Edit. I knew you know like more because yeah. of the era. But even like people that are yeah. footballers as well, that man was struggling with their own teams. <laughs> That's why I asked you what team you support before <laughs> I tested you on the team. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. But well done. That's quality. Ben out 15. And just to round up listeners' questions, man, I've got a few because, you know, they want to hear what you got to yeah, say. No now, one question that was quite a specific question. Um, he said, how crucial was Jimmy Rogers to your development and also to the development of basketball in London? Um, me personally, um, huge obviously um i think more so not necessarily development of me as a basketball player but just as a person um he's he definitely kind of molded guys um to have the right demeanor have the right mindset um obviously somebody that cared about the community very much so and i think it very much is evident in terms of how his his players kind of turned out um, one thing being a junior coach you have to do is imprint I guess the right DNA for guys to proceed not necessarily just develop talent but like obviously guys were leaving at different ages and young age like I said Luau left at like 14 I left at 16 um, obviously guys that left at 17, 18 but you could still see progression in people's games after we left and I think that's more so to do with the mindset of what he taught us like it wasn't solely about basketball it was more about determination and um striving to play through adversity and 
uh, when things ain't going your right or um, going your way, obviously being able to push through. And, and I think that's kind of the stuff that he brought um, Jimmy. And I can't ever, ever, ever leave out uh, Kasim Jabbar. Um, he was one of the coaches that was at Brixton um, that doesn't ever get enough credit for what he did in terms of developing guys and developing players because um, Jimmy obviously was the face of the program, but it was them two together. Um, Jabbar definitely held a lot of our, our training sessions and stuff like that um, growing up and was able to obviously make us the people that we were or the players that we were able to become those, through those two guys. And um, I think... He was just outspoken, loud, um, and he didn't care, I guess. Um, it sounds bad when you say the white man or whatever, but like he didn't care what, obviously, society viewed him as. Um, and that's why I think he was big for British basketball because um, he was always proud that he was able to have guys from, obviously, inner city, urban um, communities go out and be the forefront. Like, I remember in 2010 or 2011 um, literally there was like six or seven guys on a 18-man GB roster so like literally more than a third of the team was from Brixton and and, and that was something he was very very proud of yeah very proud of and um, just being able to show that sometimes it didn't matter where you came from if if you done things the right way and you, you tackled things at the right um, in the right manner and when I say the right man, I mean, obviously, using those kind of attributes, hard work, determination, um, wanting to be, obviously, the best of your age group or in your city or in your country, um, that you was able to kind of get things done. Cool. Interesting, man. Big up to Jimmy and Kasim. Was it Kasim? For sure. Kasim Jabbar. Yeah, known as Jabbar. Yeah. Big up Jabbar. Um, who are the most talented players you have played with? Or played against, so both. Um, obviously, Lou, Luau, obviously being ends up being a two-time, obviously all-star. Obviously, in college, I played with um, Isaiah Thomas, saying also being a two-time NBA all-star. Um, and then, if you want to talk about people that have gone on to do things and stuff like that, uh, James Harden. Um, played against him obviously in college. Um, yeah, Clay Clay Thompson um, was in my league as well. Um, obviously, some of the guys we named earlier: Kevin Love, Russell Westbrook. Um, yeah, OJ Mayo was an animal. Like he was the number one player in high school um, and stuff like that. So um, obviously, these are NBA guys that have gone on to obviously be great, talented players. Um, but like at the point that I played the mat, um, Michael Beasley was an animal. I was talking to somebody about this recently. But Michael Beasley, like we played against each other. We was in the same league um, at prep school uh, my senior year. So, um, but in terms of like as a eighteen year old playing against another eighteen year old, like he was an animal. Like he was a beast. Um, yeah, OJ Mayo. Um, I also played with uh, Tyreek Evans, actually, in AU. Right. Uh, yeah, so he's another t- teammate I've had. Um, but yeah, uh, OJ Mayo was a beast. I played against him. Derek Rose and Eric Gordon mm-hmm. played against them. They were on the same AU team. Um, I was the number one 
point guard and the number one shooting guard in the country uh, um, at the time. Um, so yeah, I guess that's a decent list. Um, decent yeah. way. <laughs> so all we'll started. Yeah. But just adding on yeah. to that, when you were playing against them or playing with them, could you see that these were going to elevate to the level that they are at now? Or was it like they just kicked on when they got into the league? Um, like, I'm not saying that they weren't talented. Obviously, everybody's talented. Obviously, I believe myself to compete and whatever at these levels because I'm not saying it like these guys went and like, like say like Michael Beasley, like when I say he was an animal or whatever, he gave me like 30, but I still had 25. Like, you know what I mean? So it's not like I don't think I could have played, but it's like when you get to the point of being in the NBA, like the level of consistency in terms of training that you're getting, weight room and all of that stuff all adds up into the same picture. And I think you're able to take off and make like, make it to be obviously the levels that they make it to. And I think that the talent level is, I'm not saying there's not obviously the elite, elite, elites where you have like say the LeBron Jameses and the whatever it may be. Um, but I'm saying like when you're on a, a certain par level or a certain level where you're, you know, you're fringe players or you're doing X, Y, and Z, as I said, it takes one person to, 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 to like you. Yeah. I think that if, you're put in that situation obviously your game is naturally going to get better you're going to become more athletic you're going to become stronger you're going to um, have more obviously basketball smarts um, IQ and stuff like that because you're obviously playing at that speed and that level but I think that it's so minute and it's just a difference like I said in terms of somebody liking you or disliking you um, and giving you that opportunity because once you're in that environment there's no I don't see how you can't get better 100%. And it's like you you felt you could definitely match the, to what they gave you. Like you said, Michael Beasley gave, mm-hmm. gave 25. And it's not like you were out of yeah. place playing with them or against them. Yeah. Um, especially that's why I say uh, so I, it's, it's a tough question sometimes when you ask, like, who's the best player you played with or played against or whatever it may be, because you see them at different points in their career. Like, point, yeah. I could have a conversation with you about going up against James Harden in college, but it's not the same James Harden that is, you know what I mean, MVP of the NBA right now. So it's like you can say maybe the best, the the, the level of where they're at at the time that you played them, which is like one I say probably might be easy, or KD even. Um, he's another person, like, he was always an animal. Like, what people don't understand is he's, he's all, his frame is his frame. So his frame has been the same since he was 17 years old. Obviously, he's put on some weight. Obviously, you're playing against men, so you're going to put on some weight. But his frame has always been that I'm slim. But his game's been the same. Like, he's been a lights-out shooter since he was in high school. Mm. So, like, he was 6'9 as a sophomore or something. Like, obviously, now he's doing that shit at, like, seven foot. But, like, he was always big for his position. Like, he was always a big three. You Mm. know what I mean? So, um things like that so like it changes I think it's two questions that need to be asked sometimes like mm. have you like the best player that you played against at that time like if you played against any other 18 year old who was the person you was like yo fam that dude is unstoppable because mm. like I could say might be easy but then you'd be like oh he's not even in the NBA no more he's not this he wasn't an all-star he wasn't you know what I mean but talent wise at 18 year old like he was easily one of the best in the country like mm. and then like I said, it goes kind of vice versa. Like you could also be like, who have you played and who have you played that has become, you know what I mean, greatness. 
Mm. And like I said, that's somebody like James or Russ. Like they wasn't, I'm not saying they weren't talented because at the end of the day, both of them, I think both of them were number four picks. But um, obviously their talent was there um, when I played them, but you didn't necessarily think it would equate to being, all right, you know what, this dude has the potential of being top 50 all time ever to play the game. Like you don't see it or you don't necessarily know. Yeah. Interesting, interesting. Um, who do you model your game on, or who did you try to model your game on when you was growing up? Even now, um, it's a bit different. It's a bit of a weird one because I was um a bit of both. Um, my favorite player growing up was Alan Iverson. Obviously, I'm not saying yeah. I modeled my game after him. Yeah, um, like he was more of an inspiration to me than Jordan was. Um, really? yeah, like um anybody that knew me, like I as a kid, like eight, nine, ten. 11 whatever like I had like AI jerseys and um stuff like that like growing up Sixers jerseys and and like all of that sort of stuff um as I said I was always playing up age groups um so I was always a guard growing up it was only when I got closer to the age groups I was playing in so like imagine as 11 year old playing under 16 you're not going to be a big man you're going to be a god <laughs> you know what I mean and it was only until I got till 14 15 16 I was the taller one on the team and then they tried to put me in the post a little bit or whatever it may be but and it was always the same like obviously again playing under 18s at 14 15 years old again I'm a small guy so I was on the perimeter and that's why I kind of constituted to when I got to the states I was playing on the perimeter um you remember I said earlier that um I was playing the three and stuff in, in high school and in and, and prep school. Um, but that was because I had guard skills because I was always, say, younger and um, so smaller in terms of physicality and in height um, to the guys I was playing around. So my skill set was more predicated around that. I loved to watch T-Mac, like he was an animal. Um, yeah, obviously, once he finally got up out of um, Orlando um, and was in... Um, Houston and stuff obviously some of the stuff that he was doing was crazy so that was one of my favorite players as well growing up um but then as I got to the states and um well say got to the states but got to college and started doing more inside stuff I looked a lot a lot a lot at Amari Stadamire, Kevin Garnett you know those guys that were kind of like four guys that could stretch the floor some um and do all of that so yeah that's, that's what it was now I'm older so I don't really kind of try to base my game off of anybody else I kind of know what I can do and can't do and um, yeah I mean I'll, I'll kind of just play the game that I know to play now Nice, nice um, What's your ultimate starting five? <sighs> We've had this conversation um, I would go um, LeBron at the one yeah. Um, Jordan. Oh, of course. Because <laughs> of what I'm saying. Um, yeah. Jordan. I'm just deciding if I want to go. Um, how big I want to go at the three. Um, I'd have KD at the four and. Um, or KD at the three or whatever, but obviously he's a big four. Um, but just, I'd play four at one in pretty much. But um, LeBron, Jordan, probably have to go Kobe. 
it's just tough having Kobe and Jordan in the same team. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, I remember like, obviously TV. KD can play without the ball. Yeah. Stephen A was saying that there's like, no point in having both. You only need one. <laughs> yeah, that's what you, you only need one. So, like, obviously, obviously, LeBron can pass with the best that's ever played the game. So, LeBron is my point. Jordan at the two. I don't know if I want at the three at the top of my head, but KD at the four and Shaq at the five. Okay. I'd have to work out who the other wing is. So oh, you have to have Shaq at the five. He's the most dominant center of all time. Easy. Kareem? Like prime Shaq. No, 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 no. You ain't seeing Prime Shack, bro. <laughs> Prime Shack was that was an animal, animal, bro. But no magic. See, that's where it gets political because it's like, do you want to put magic in at the one and then just move LeBron to the three, which you could do. Yeah. Um, but then it's like the only reason why I wouldn't put Steph in there is because he don't play no damn defense. That's true. Um, she lights out though. Well, I could have that's what I'm saying. So you could have you know what I mean, Steph at the one and then Jordan, LeBron, or even have uh, LeBron at the one because Steph loves to be off the ball anyway. Jordan, um, Steph at the two, Jordan at three, mm. KD and Shaq. But yeah, KD and Shaq. Uh, Shaq's locked in, LeBron's locked in for me. Um, obviously, Jordan's locked in. So it's just that. How do I, where I want to play LeBron and, and who I'm playing with. Cool. And I have to ask you this question. Jordan or LeBron? What side? LeBron. Are you? LeBron. Yes, LeBron. my I'm guy. LeBron. I'm team LeBron. I'm team LeBron. Yeah. Shout out to my friends. Like, I just think. Like, yeah, why you got some people on your case about it? Yeah, so I'm gonna name them names, but they know who they are. But yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> um, nah, it's just overall, man. Like, forget the numbers in terms of like, um points, rebounds, assists, but just the way he plays the game is the right way, obviously, but he's like he is a creative player, like, you go on 2K or NBA Live back in the day and you make a creative player, you make LeBron, like, mm-hmm. you make LeBron, like, you want somebody that can post up, can drive, can obviously now shoot um, I'm not saying he's Steph shooting, but obviously he can shoot the crazy, like the level of the board points, but um, fadeaways peak. Yeah, obviously create. Yeah, create for others. Um, he orchestrates like nobody orchestrates like him. Um, mm. You must have seen it, but like if you heard Iman Shumpert talking about him orchestrating offenses and stuff You're like that, Cleveland. like while the game's going on. Yeah, yeah, I've seen. Yeah, that. when they was at Cleveland, like while 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 the game's going on, like yo, do this and do that, and while while this is going on, like he's playing basketball while he's saying all of this stuff, and it's like no disrespect to him, but that wasn't Jordan. Like he was a killer. Like you're saying, who's the you know what I mean, the one player, the best that ever, you know what I mean, the um, sniper. Like who you want on your squad to you know what I mean mm-hmm. X Y and Z. Like yeah, that's Jordan. But in terms of basketball player most talented like yeah I think Jordan's probably the best winner that ever played the game but basketball player has to go to LeBron I hear that last one last I like to hear that okay um this is a good question would you rather take the game winning shot or are you kicking it out to the open man I'm taking the game winning shot bro you're taking it taking the game winning shot yeah I'm taking it but I'll keep this, but your your guy LeBron, he ain't about that. He is, but the only thing you're talking about me now, there's two different things. Like there's, <laughs> there's playing the game the right way, and there's like yo, yeah. like I, I don't know, like 
it's a tough situation. And um, if you're talking about me on the court, like I probably would take gay with a shot. But the reason is like I've been obviously I'm not saying I'm LeBron isn't, but I've been obviously the main guy on most of the teams that I've been with. So it's like I can live and die with me like myself taking a shot. But if I kick somebody else and they miss, I'd be like, you had an opportunity to, to, you know what I mean, ice the game, win the game, whatever it may be. And if I am a main person and a main player, I would rather the insults or the whatever it is come down on me. It's happened to me before where I've won a game before, where I've lost a game before. Mm. I remember um, um, a couple of years ago when I was with, what's his name? We had a bad game. Um, sorry. Um, and I think I'm, it was to tie it. It was just to tie it, but I did a play wasn't even for me necessarily, but I was an option and it came to me and I did a great move and the ball rolled off the rim. And obviously like to me, I was just like, I put my hand up at the end of the game. It was like, yo, it's a shot I usually make. I apologize. Like what happened again, this and the rest, like rather than kicking it out to someone else who doesn't, if that makes sense, it doesn't, he's not used to that pressure or not used to that situation or whatever it may be. But saying that, like, as long as it, um, opportunities there, it just depends on the flow of the game and everything. Like, look at the, the the trophy finals. It was me that kicked it to Ed for the the game, the the shot that tied it. Yeah. And that was I could have forced off a bad three, but I kind of read the defense and saw that the double team was, and Justin was like a little helped over. He hates whenever I say his name about this, but he was a little extra helped over, and I kicked it to him. And obviously Ed was wide open. He had to sprint down to kind of close out Ed because you have to with Ed. Um, and obviously pump baked him and stepped in and hit a wide open three, which is, but that's another player who's kind of like me in that realm. Like if I had shot it, he'd have been like, Matt, I was open. Wherever some guys would have been like, oh, Matt just missed. Whereas, you know what I mean? So like, he's used to obviously that pressure and that, um, that kind of situation. I think it matters who you're passing to as well, obviously. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. Like, it's chalk and cheese. If you, you pass it and they score, it's a great basketball player. If you pass it and miss, you choked. They're going to get mad. Yeah, you choked. Yeah, yeah simple as. Okay, cool. Um, Another question is, oh, would you rather retire for a season or play, but you don't score in that whole season? So you're dropping 0. 0.0 rebounds, 0. <laughs> I might as well retire. You ain't getting a job after you drop zero, zero, zero. <laughs> At least if you retire for a year, they will be like, oh, he still got it. He just, yeah, I yeah. mean, just needed to take a year out. Well, you get it zero, zero, zero across the board, boy. You might as well retire after that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Okay. Would you rather be a great player but with a trashed legacy? So you've done everything. You've won the NBA, Finals MVP, but your legacy's trashed. You're like R. Kelly, basically. Or... Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> or you're a good player, but few remember you. You're like, I don't know, you're not remembered. You're like Steve Kerr made big shots. Good player, but it's like, oh, Steve Kerr played for us. Damn. Um, Like what? Uh, like, <laughs> that's a tough question to ask. Like what, what would tarnish your legacy that bad? Like, that you you're remembered your for what you did. So like you were sick, you were very good, but it's like, oh, but he did that though. Like Achilles is a good artist, but he did what he done in it. You just can't. But I don't know. That's tough. That's tough. We'll just be a, a if you're that player. great of a player. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're that great a player, yeah, I think it outweighs 
certain negative things. And the only reason I say that is obviously you're using R. Kelly as a... Um, That's a mad example. <laughs> as a Yeah, as a mad example. Obviously, like, kids and... Yeah, you know what I mean, pedophilia and all that stuff is mad. So, um, obviously, it's tough to compare to that, but I'm just trying to think of, like... Okay, how about um O.J. Simpson? That's a good Because, like, look at, look at Jordan. Like, this is why I say look at Jordan. Obviously, it's not bad, but if he wasn't who he was, he would have been pulled up more about his gambling issues and stuff like this and rare, 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 rare. But because there's a difference between... Because, like, if you're talking about great in terms of the best that ever played the game, like, I don't think people will remember. Like, not saying they won't remember, but your, your legacy won't be... Tarnished. Stuff that you did off the court. You know what I mean? I'm not saying it won't be tarnished, but it won't be stuff that you did off the court. Like, there's a difference between, like, nobody says R. Kelly is the best ever by hands down, like, no argument, best ever R&B artist ever. But he was up but there. Because he was, he was up there, but I'm saying but because he was one of a few, like, there was mm. options, if you know what I mean. So he'd be like, oh, yeah, we're not going with him because R. Kelly did X, Y, Z. Mm. But then you say that, and then you talk about people's whatever. Like, kids nowadays probably don't know R. Kelly was all this other stuff. Like, they just know him as an artist. That's true. With time, everything changes. With time, everything fades. And that's what people don't realise. Like, what's hot today will be not, like, will be forgotten yeah. about tomorrow. So which one you taking? Yeah, if it means I'm going down as the greatest, I've got to take it the greatest, yeah. So, you, so you'd rather be R. Kelly than Steve Kerr? Okay, that makes sense. So chill, relax, man. Don't put them words in my mouth. This might go viral and that. Look at this guy. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. No, I'm joking. I, I hear what you're saying, I hear what you're saying. I asked the time because they said there's no such thing as bad publicity in that sense. Yeah, there is a such thing. There is, in yeah, there that is sense, obviously. Yeah, but there's such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> um... Uh, which or what traits are needed to become a pro baller? So, give me like to inspire like the next generation of ballers. What do they need to get oh, okay. the pro? Or even to get to, um, yeah, whatever it may be. Um, I think obviously the basics hard work and hard work, right? Um, mental ethic in terms of like putting in more hours than anybody else people don't realize like i know it's very much said even from say myself to flipping nba players to the stars like the more hours you put in the more results you'll see and like when you're obviously working or when you're sleeping somebody's working on their craft um so obviously that's like the basics plain and simple but i think um just having the right attitude in terms of never letting anybody tell you no like so many people regardless of what people may have thought of me or may have envisioned for me from a young age like so many people thought I wasn't going to be this or I wasn't going to be that like I was having a conversation with somebody if they listen they'll know who they are but I was having a conversation with somebody say people talking about when I was coming out of school like I legit legit had obviously however many NBA workouts and I heard people that was back in the UK like oh yeah when he's done he's just gonna um I'm not even talking about when talking about when I'm done with college like oh yeah he's just gonna come back and be a regular BBL player and decide that let's not play overseas not do any of that so it's like you've got to just kind of have um thick skin um there's positive criticism and there's criticism that's like unnecessary and just hate and you've got to kind of be able to learn to differentiate what both is so like sometimes some people what might come across or might seem to you as criticism in a negative light 
maybe it's because they're trying to help you out or actually give you sound advice but obviously things are hate and it's just about trying to differentiate which is which and obviously sticking to to the to, to the grind and, and what got you there cool cool and just a couple more questions um you probably answered this before but just to like touch on it who's the most influential coach in your life and what was the best advice that he gave to you um I can't say like obviously Jimmy was up there. Um obviously um my high school coach, Coach Chills, um Coach Rafael Chilius, and even my college coach, um, Coach Roma, Coach Lorenzo Roma. Um I can't say I can remember anything specific each one of them said to me. Um, mm-hmm. but those are definitely my top three um obviously influences when it comes to, to, to the game. Um but I would just say that obviously Jimmy taught me about the work ethic and and um, dedication to the game from a young age and the discipline to be able to make it or to get to obviously the levels that I got to. Um, Coach Chills uh, was a person that taught me about patience. Um, obviously going to the States at 16 and playing in prep school and I knew I was going to be there for three years like he was the one that taught me that time time is of the essence but you've got to wait your turn sometimes like to be in the right situation but always staying ready um, and being able to um, you know overcome things that aren't going your your your, your way um, and then coach Romar's kind of similar to the same thing um as I said like things might go my right way and uh, you dub but he kind of stayed on me and worked with me regardless of things I guess not having a great impact on on the team I guess in terms of wins and and play uh, minutes played and stuff like that but it's another thing where it's like he taught me about staying ready because he was like your number will get called just about when it does like you being able to go out there and perform so like him just being able to I guess stay in my ear stay positive and and I think the mixture of all three of them is what has been able to keep me I guess having a 10-year career so far and being able to kind of get through like I said the politics when it comes to NBA Summer League or professional basketball or anything like that because other guys would like I've seen literally guys lose their head and be like, "Of this fine playing, I'm out, or I'm doing this, or I'm doing that, or whatever it may be." So, I think, um, yeah, just a mixture between those two. Cool, man. that's great. And um, is what's is there any regrets in your life, or what would you change in your journey if you could change a part of it so far? Um. I wouldn't say I would change anything. Um, if I could do something different, maybe if I went to a different school, I think I could have potentially got drafted. Um, I got drafted or, um, no, 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 college. college. Um, just in terms of opportunity and playing style and whatever it may be. And exposure sometimes, because even though the Pac-10 was loaded, uh, West Coast kind of gets a knock um, compared to East Coast basketball, so the Big East ACC was getting more obviously ESPN games, TV yeah. coverage, 
And with the time difference, like our games at seven o'clock is 10 p.m. at night over on the East Coast. So mm. it's not, you don't get as much, I guess, exposure. Um, and maybe not having to spend four years, I think, um, I was able to showcase what I could do earlier in my college career. Because um, what people don't realize is, like, regardless if you spend one year or four years, like, um, to the fan, it's just like he got drafted. Whereas the NBA, it's like, yeah, we've lost three years of working with him. Like, if you come in as a freshman and potential, like, you graduate in at 22, 23, like, they look at you as old. Like, you need to come to the NBA and produce right away. Versus if you're 19 or 20, like, they will work with you for the next two years to to get some, obviously, some return on their investment. So um, maybe that... Um, timing obviously it wasn't planned but having a son obviously i love him to death and everything is but timing wise um it wasn't the right time for me to have a child and with my career and everything how everything was going um or obviously in hindsight not knowing i wasn't going to get drafted and Mm. now obviously i decided to obviously come back to europe to make sure i could provide for him and my family um whereas i could have say did the D League but obviously it's the G League now. Um obviously it was horrible money but you stay relevant and you're close to the NBA and they get to see you so you could potentially have made the NBA in that type of manner and stuff like that. But only those are the only two things I would say I guess um I wish could have panned out different. Yeah. Cool. And final question what's next for Matthew Brian and Manning? What are we what should we expect to see? What's the plan? Um, I'm about to sign for another team in the BBL. Um, I don't know when this will get released, but by um, by the time it does get released, obviously it would have been official. Um, that's for the rest of this season. Um, so obviously you'll be able to see my face around the UK and playing. Obviously, um, yeah, the games hopefully. <laughs> um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully soon enough. It'll be at the games, not just on online. Um, and then, no, nah, for me, I'm just, you know, working on a few things behind the scenes, off the court. Um, obviously, some different. Obviously, I think I think the best thing for the kids nowadays are having people like myself or Justin or Ed or whoever it is talking and on these things and talking about things like. Yeah. We didn't see a lot of this when we were young, so like learning about multiple streams of income and and. and things that you can do to obviously benefit so you can be comfortable and play sports I guess um, whether it be basketball or whatever um, if it's not the best ideal financially but you can still do it because you love it because you're making other streams of income so I've got a few ventures that I'm um, a couple that I'm looking into and I'm talking about with some people and then um, I've got some property stuff that I'm doing myself here anyway in the UK so um, yeah just trying to you know what I mean make sure that I have other streams of income so if I decide that I don't necessarily want to go back to playing overseas for my last few years or whatever it is and I want to be here and play in the UK that I'm comfortable doing so cool wow wow this was a power packed full podcast Elliot now Matthew you got a lot done thank you, you done. so much for coming out what was this three hours huh sign like that but I enjoyed it hopefully yeah. you enjoyed it as well no, no, it's all good. Always Big good thanks for coming on. I appreciate it, man. Just like respect. I wish you all the best for the 
rest of the season. Keep playing ball. And thank you for the info. Thank you for, you know, your wise words, sharing your journey. Because not many people will know, like, what you've had to do, what you've been through, what you've experienced. So it's really good to hear that. And just all the best, man. And stay blessed, stay safe, stay healthy in this time.